everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is March the 17th, St. Patty's Day. We are decked out in our green for you. Mike went a little overboard, but that's to be expected. Um, you don't do know what the Media Boat close. Podcast... Huh? No, go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> I missed that. Um if you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that's dedicated to covering the media, aka movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order, especially this week, since we're going to do a little bit of a reverse reverse show for you, which we do every once in a while, when we're feeling uh, feeling like one side's a little bit more heavy than the other. As you well know, uh, if, you're an audi- if you're in our audience, that the Grammys happened last weekend, and we want to talk about those. So we will get to that in the music section. But this week, we'll start with video games. So I pass this over to you, and let's talk about it, shall we? Oh, yeah, you're Mike and I'm Matt. I guess I didn't mention that part. Yes, that's what I was waiting for. I'm Mike. <laughs> He's Matt. I should have. We're just going to roll with this intro. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey, I already did it. I'm not going to do it again. Let's hey. go. Yes, it is about... uh, St. Patrick's Day. Have you been drinking? <laughs> Only Mountain Dew Baja Blast Zero Sugar. <laughs> well, So yes? So yes and no. Uh, but yes, yes uh, it is St. Patrick's Day. Feeling a little good. Drinking a little bit. Uh, so we're going to do a reverse show <laughs> today. Back it on up, sure. and yeah, as you said, we're going to start with video games. Let's. But we're going to start with video games with new releases, as we always do. Upcoming this week, quite a lot for you to choose from, including yeah. Root Film for the PS4 and Switch, Plants vs. Zombies, colon, Battle for Neighborville, dash, Complete Edition for the Switch, Mm-hmm. Arkham Horror colon Mother's Embrace for the PS4, oh. Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, Arkham Horror is DC. That would make sense. Batman related. Uh, Overcooked colon All You Can Eat for the PS4, Switch, and PC. Uh, Story of Seasons colon, Pioneers of Olive Town for the Switch, Tales from the Borderlands for the Switch, and Tunchi for the Switch. Good news to be a Switch owner. (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed that every once in a while there'll be just a drop of like five or six Switch exclusives, and this is one of those weeks. I guess Nintendo likes to schedule their Switch schedule with like days like this, which is like, yeah, everything's out. It's a switch bomb. Switch bomb. All right. So let's let's talk about some game news. And we start with a bit of a follow-up story. So we talked about Stadia closing its Focus Studios. And part of that departure included Jade Raymond, who has founded a new studio called Haven, which will be working with Sony on its first project. At least the studio is probably called Haven (laughs) (laughs) because that's what it's referred to on the PlayStation blog. 
were is also referred to as Haven Studios. And her byline on the post calls it Haven Entertainment Studios. So one of three names there. We're just going to call it Haven. To be extra confusing, there's also a uh, game that's out right now on all platforms, including Game Pass, called Haven that has nothing to do with the studio. So it's just really bad timing for the game, Haven. So if you're going to Google it, probably Google Haven Entertainment Studios. Or Studios Haven Studios. Studios. Yeah. Well, Jade Raymond announced the studio through a post on the PlayStation blog where she confirmed the studio is already working on a new IP for PlayStation. So it sounds like PlayStation might own the IP of whatever it is Haven is developing. It seemed like a second party, yeah. Yeah. An important distinction to make is that Haven is an independent studio, but is receiving support and backing from Sony for its debut game. Not unlike Kojima Productions, which did with Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. If it's similar like that, it's probable the game will remain a PlayStation 5 exclusive. But given Sony's recent moves about, uh, about putting its game on the PC, there mm-hmm. could be a future for whatever this game is elsewhere. Yeah. But it's good to see that you know people who were unceremoniously let go from Stadia are kind of a, found a new, new venture to to partake in yeah i do it makes you wonder whether jade brought anybody over from that project or not it's not I would clear assume some people um the other question here and i think the 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 million dollar question here is do you think this is an original ip for sony or do you think this is as the industry has been wont to do lately a resurrection of some old playstation property I don't think you do that out of the gate. I think you do new IP with new technology. You say, hey, this is what we want to do. Either since they worked with Stadia, something to do with streaming or something that is low key, a new IP as it's put Mm -hmm. that maybe they want to make a full-fledged game. I mean, I if they're going to use an old IP, I wouldn't be surprised if it's some Astrobot <laughs> because PlayStation 5. I mean, Astrobot seems to be a Japan Studios, or sorry, a Sobe uh, game. So I don't think it'll be that. But yeah, it's interesting to see Sony just keeps accumulating new studios, not unlike Microsoft. They both kind of feel like they're both like, it's an arms race, a studio arms race for exclusives at this point. Exactly like that, I guess. Yep, um, so yeah, it would be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, you could argue that Microsoft spent most money at this point. <laughs> so um, they're definitely the showing up. Zenimax deal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we'll see what Haven has to offer. Uh, but man, Jade Raymond can't stay anywhere for longer than a year, it seems. And you gotta wonder what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. We'll Where see. else has Jade Raymond been at? So Jade started at Ubisoft. She was head of Assassin's Creed in the era of the first Assassin's Creed, way back when, and left that project 
for all sorts of things and has bounced project to project. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, uh, but she seems like a trusted name, trusted enough to land herself jobs like this all the time. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but we'll see what Haven makes. So expect open world game then? Possibly? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Sony's been really big on the uh, single player um, adventure kind of games uh, with the God of Wars and the Naughty Dog right. stuff. This might slot into that unless they're looking for something to differentiate their portfolio, which is also possible. I don't know. We won't know. I think jury's out on this one. We probably won't hear again from Haven until next year, is my guess. Uh, usually three years if it's in starting from scratch. But I mean, like, even for an announcement of what they're working on, I don't think you hear anything until the end of the year, maybe next right. year. So. Possibly. Yep, no rush. Well, buckle in because we get a double dose of PlayStation news as the PlayStation blog confirmed some free games coming up. And you know how much I love free games. We all do. Yes. Sony did confirm that it will be making nine games available for free on March 25th until April 22nd. These are all games from various independent developers and include the following. Abzu, Enter the Gungan, Res Infinite, Gungan, Gungan, <laughs> Subnautica, Astrobot Rescue Mission, Moss, Thumper, Paper Beast, uh-huh, and and the following: The Witness. He's talking the about witness. the Witness. It's an Easter egg for longtime medium podcast <laughs> listeners. Um, yeah, pretty good picks, but it seems like they saved the best for last. Yes, because while all these games will be dropping for free on the 25th, a game I (laughs) want to get back into and may even get my doctor to watch me play it because it's got a strong female lead, (laughs) Horizon Zero Dawn will be made available from April 19th through May 14th for free. So, if you've never played any of these games, you'll have a lot to keep you busy over the summer. Yeah. But, yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn coming for free April 19th. I assume this is in the lead-up to get people to play it mm-hmm. for the upcoming uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Um, this list is pretty good, especially in contrast to, remember the list of first party games that they said were going to be free for PS5 users, uh, upon launch. I think that this is almost as good as that list, because if there's a lot of heavy hitters from third parties here, um, some are available on other consoles, I believe Enter the Gungeon is a Game Pass game as well. So if you're in the Xbox ecosystem, you've probably already played that. Also, The Witness has been bumping around for the last few years on multiple platforms. You probably played that as well. But having Astrobot and Moss here, those are VR games. So perfect for VR people who maybe are picking up a cheap headset right now while they're on sale. Or a good lead-in for the new headset that's expected to launch for the PS5. I do believe both Abzu and Res... Well, I know Abzu was a free game for the PlayStation Plus. I think years ago at this point. I think Res Infinite was also a game that was free. It may have been. That's also a game that has a VR mode. Right, but uh, the rest of these have not been a part of that PS Plus free game 
from both these teams. It's a strong, it's a strong lineup. I think it'll be good to fill a lot of people's gaps in their uh, their game history, especially while they're waiting to play something on the PS5 because there's not a whole lot coming out. Yep. Um, so shout out here. As we said, um, if you like puzzles and you've been a longtime follower of us on the Media Boat podcast here, The Witness is a game you should definitely be playing or at least have played. If you love puzzles, if you love mysteries, and if you really love puzzles, The Witness is a game for you. And I played it. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I believe that was one of my top games of the year we played it. Seems super cool. Yep, real cool. All righty. All right. We have thoughts. We do. Yes. So let me finish up my thoughts from last week because I actually beat Control this week. And I actually got into some of the DLC from it too because that came as part of the free PS Plus games that we've been talking about and that we love because we love free stuff here. Yeah. We always love free stuff. Real quick question. I've been forgetting to ask this, but how's it running on your PS4? Because you have a base PS4. Yes, I do. My understanding about the base console versions of Control is that they're kind of bad. Yes, like, are you having issues with the uh, the frame rate? Constantly. Yeah. I've even run that thing on both a PlayStation Pro and an Xbox Series X, and it's still framing on those things. I haven't run it on my PC yet. I hear the PC version, especially with a decent card, is a much better experience. But I have not tried that yet. But um, okay, yeah, I just wanted to check on that because you hadn't mentioned any issues, but they've been happening. <laughs> it's very uh, jumpy when you come out from the PlayStation being in rest mode or just starting up a new game. Uh, it's and then going in, into new levels, it can get kind of very choppy. And if there's too many people on screen or particle effects, yes. Yeah. But as you said, I am running on a base PS4 model. Right. So it, yeah, it's could be time to upgrade soon this year, <laughs> most likely. If you can find a PlayStation Five, if you could find it. <laughs> Trust me, it's hard. Anyway, anyways, I love. So the you gameplay. finished it? Yeah, I finished it. I love the gameplay. I did think the ending wasn't as satisfactory. Because it wasn't huge boss battle, it was grinding dungeon mode, kind of. But the storyline is great, strong characters throughout. It definitely made me want to explore more. Definitely made me want to jump right into the DLC immediately mm-hmm. after finishing it, too, which is a good uh, good narrative and good gameplay that I finished the story and I still want to play more of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of extra post content. Probably not going to get to it. And because I've been playing that and beat it and kind of, you know, how I play. um, (laughs) Haven't quite gotten to uh, this month's release of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I keep adding on here and I keep having to take off because I haven't played it yet. (laughs) Yeah. But I was super happy playing with Control. Cool. I was super happy uh, with the gameplay. It did feel a bit choppy towards the end as it seemed to rush your new abilities immediately rather than the first couple where it kind of spread it out and you got 
more time to play with them. I heard that take as well around the time of its release. A lot of people are like, yeah, this spoiler thing that you get it, it comes way too late and you barely have time to use it. Right, because by the time you get it, it's already pointing you towards right. the end, but you kind of want to play with it. Yeah, and so it's like, man, I wish I had areas. this. Yeah, I wish I had had this earlier in the game and I could enjoy it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then even in the DLC, it, it adds two new abilities, but on the abilities you can only use in the in DLC. The DLC. <laughs> which is kind of smart because you don't want to add stuff that makes the right. other game, the original game, kind of either too hard or too easy. Right. Because you have them. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I picked it up. I'm glad I played it. I would encourage people to play it if they like the third-person shooter action genre. The story can be feel like it drags on at parts, <laughs> but it's enough of a good mystery that you want to keep pulling on that thread. Yeah. I still have downloaded on my Series X. I should try it again at some point i done it twice now where i've played the first like intro of the game and then i put it down and never came back to it on two different platforms now and so i need to stop doing that <laughs> i need to continue one of them i think when i got hooked because yeah i played it like grab the first four hours and then that's when i was like okay i'm gonna try and see this through yeah okay cool did you play anything else Nope, but I hear you got birthday money. Yes, somebody, I don't know, like a co- podcast co-host or something, uh, bought me <laughs> bought me a gift card for the Switch, which is ironic considering last week on this very show, I said live that I hadn't touched my Switch in a very long time. And then you were given a reason to touch your Switch. I, I guess so. Sounds dirty. Um, so yeah, I touched my Switch. I got my hands, filthy hands all over it. Uh, and I bought and downloaded Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. 3D uh, Land? No. So 3D Land is the 3DS game. 3D right. World was the Wii U game. Okay. They're similarly titled because they're similarly made. Um, so I didn't play this on the Wii U. I didn't own a Wii U. And if you skip this one too, basically... Oh, did I type it wrong? That makes sense. Um, <laughs> that explains it a Played a lot, turns out. Um, so yeah, um, basically, it's a Mario game that splits the difference between the 3D games and the 2D games. And what I mean by that is, it's not a big open world like Galaxy or Odyssey tends to be, or even Mario 64 or Sunshine was. It's more like like compartmentalized levels, but it's also in 3D still. It's not a 2D game, but it borrows a lot from the 2D games. Like the levels are timed. There's a score you're going to a flag at the end of the levels the levels aren't that long. And it's all based around like very small, like puzzle-like platforming things as opposed to big sprawling exploration. So it's a more focused Mario game. And so you're not getting a lot of the um, wandering around, wondering what the objective is that sometimes is the the worst part of an Odyssey or a Sunshine. Um, so yeah, it's a really fun game so far. I remember when it came out for Wii U, a lot of people praised it. A lot of people say it's an underrated Mario game in the in the legacy of the series. And now that I'm jumped into it, I totally see why people loved it. I'm having a lot of fun with this game. One of my favorite things so far is the cat suit. And you can choose who you are. It's one of the multiplayer 
Mario games. So that means you have access to Mario, Luigi, Peach, and a Toad as, as the player that you play as. And so, yeah, regardless of who you can play, you could get this cat suit power up that makes you into a cat and you can like climb walls, scratch enemies. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it's so cute because Mario, when he wins the level, will go meow in the Mario voice. And it's just, it's adorable. Then on top of the existing 3D world game, which I'm, like I said, I'm having really fun with because I missed it the first time around. There's also a new game in here. It's not a very long game, but it is new. Uh, that's the Bowser's Fury part of the title. And it, ironically enough, is an open world. <laughs> it's kind of Odyssey style where it's a big playground that basically they put you in. Except it has also been sliced into quad, like not quadrants because there's not four of them, but like into little slices of levels that are all themed. And similar to Odyssey, you're basically going around trying to solve puzzle in in world puzzles to get the like star equivalent in this case they're cat shines hearkening back to mario sunshine um and the hook though for the bowser's fairy part as the name implies is there is a giant bowser on this map and he is mad you could say that he is furious because he's been like poisoned by some sort of black ooze is he fast as well no, he's actually pretty slow, okay. which is good because he could wreck your shit if he gets up close to you. And he will, because what, he, what happens is in a Godzilla kaiju-esque way, periodically throughout the game, he'll, be, he'll wake up. He'll emerge from the ooze and will go to wherever you are, regardless of whatever task you're doing, and try shooting fireballs at you to try to interrupt you. So in a kind of a Breath of the Wild kind of way, this can really throw you off. Just like in that game where it's, oh, it's raining. I can't climb a wall anymore. This game is, oh, I was just trying to get this shine by like solving, like jumping these platforms. And now there's fireballs all over me and I can't do it. And so you have to wait it out sometimes, dodging fireballs until Bowser done, tired, goes back to sleep. So you can finally solve the puzzle you're on. So the flip side of this is that you can actually summon Bowser when you want to try to do damage to him because the ultimate goal here is that he is a final boss that you must defeat. It's just that you can't do it all at once because of how big and powerful he is. But you get to a certain like point in the little quadrant level of getting enough cat shines and there's a bell that you can ring that summons Bowser that actually like, no, I want Bowser to come over here. And that's where you see stuff that you were shown in the trailer where Mario can become a giant cat Mario and battle Bowser at his own size. And that's Gigamax. where you can, yeah. And it's kind of like a Gigantamax Pokemon battle. Yeah, actually, weirdly enough. Uh, and that's how you do damage to it. And then eventually you'll do da enough damage to Bowser that he will eventually fall and you'll win. But my understanding is just like 3D World, there is more to do after the story is over, after Bowser is uh, downed. So this is also multiplayer, uh, but it's only two-player multiplayer. A uh, second player can control Bowser Jr. as a co-op partner. Oh, not Luigi? Not Luigi. But if you don't want, a, if you don't have a real person, which right now, unless you live with somebody, probably not, um, Bowser Jr. can be controlled by AI. And you can actually set how helpful Bowser Jr. is. So 
if you wander around and set his AI high enough, he'll actually destroy enemies for you, which is kind of nice. Uh, if you say you're maybe not that good of a Mario player or something. So it's a way to kind of like modernize. It's like a new version of the assist mode that they've had in Mario's in the past, but a way of simplified version. So as soon as I powered it up, I was like, no, I want Bowser Jr. to be completely passive. Like I don't want him to help at all. And so far I haven't needed him, but if you do, it's nice that it's there. So uh, yeah, there's a lot to love in this game. I see why this game has such ardent fans. I'm just scratched the surface from what I understand about 3D World is once you beat it once, there's a whole second part of the game that unlocks that's even better. So I'm really excited to see uh, what else is in this game and play more. I played 3D Land for the 3DS. Me too, yes. Yeah, and once you beat that game, you play it back as Luigi. Right. I think there's something similar here. So... So, yeah, you like, so which one do you like better, the 3D World or the Bowser's Fury part? So uh, hmm, I have I played about the same amount of both of them. I think right now I'm a little I'm a, uh, angling a little towards uh, the 3D World portion because I like the focus of the smaller, like more compact levels. I'm in, I guess I had my you know open world stuff towards the end of last year, and I kind of got that out of my system, and so now I'm want more of a directed experience because I have less time. And so, yeah, that might be part of why I'm kind of glomming onto that part. But I think both are cool. Both have their strengths and um, both are really fun. So I recommend it to anybody who missed the Wii U version to give this a try. All right. Sounds like a media boat. Play it. It is a recommend for sure. It's, uh, it is unfortunate, though, if you did already play this game, that it is a $60 full price Switch game because Bowser's Fury on its own is not worth $60. My understanding is it's only a four or five hour experience. So that sucks. But if you skipped it, the 3D World portion, this is more than worth the money. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So Switch. Oh, and I also jumped back into um, Ring Fit Adventure this week. Huh. I've done a couple of days. My front of my thighs are killing me, but it's really, really fun. So I'm still, I'm still enjoying that game. I finally got to World Three <laughs> after years. You're only on World Three. Yeah, like I said, because every time, every time I take a big break, I start over. Why? Because because I think like, oh well, I lost all of those. Like I lost all of my, like my what I lost learned. So yeah, so I'm gonna start from the beginning, and so. This is from starting from the beginning. So where were you you last time then? No, that's what I'm saying. Is this the first time I've ever gotten to World 3? Because I've never done it more than like two or three days in a row. (laughs) I always drop off. Oh. Yeah. I never had the commitment to it. I'm going to commit this time, I swear. I won't tell you where I'm at then. (laughs) I don't want to know. I know there's like potentially unlimited levels in this game, so... Well, I'm going to reach unlimited levels if I keep going the way I yeah. am. So I need to, I need to get get up to to that. But yeah, I'm just in the early goings right now. Yep, uh, I've been playing Green Fit Adventure every day. I guess that's the other game I've been playing, but I've been talking about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to talk about it every day, but I just figured I'd bring it up since I started back up again. Yeah. So. All right. But yeah. Okay. Well, that's pretty much what I'm playing. I'm also playing something I don't believe released this year. Uh, but you're as soon as I say what it is, you're going to be like, that is the most you game that's ever existed. That is the most you game that's ever existed. <laughs> it is a Sudoku dating sim. 
That's the most you game that has ever existed. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I don't think it came out this year. I think it was mobile last game. Year, but no, it's on Switch as well. Oh, um, okay. See, the seventy dollars uh, ended up getting me two games. Ah. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, uh, let's move on though, because I don't think I have anything else to talk about. So, all right, let's uh, move on then to music, and we always start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100, and it finally happened. We have new music. <laughs> well, do we? Because it seems like we have three songs from the same person, and then no whole else left after that. Right. Well, Drake somehow then found his way into the spotlight. Yes. What happened? He released a mixtape because he is wont to do that often. Um, The sequel to last year's Scary Hours EP. This is called Creatively Scary Hours 2. I'm shocked by that name. It is three tracks long and all three tracks have landed on the Hot 100 this week. So it's a three track mixtape. Yes. Because it's so short, it doesn't count as an album. It's a right. Mixtape. Yes. Or three songs. Uh huh. Yeah. Did he lose you yet? <laughs> yes. Yes. He lost me. And this I, is, I need, by the way, the first time. This is the first time this has ever happened. Can it three be the songs time, in the top, please? Debuting in the three time, uh, three uh, top three. So, I guess no. We can't call it an album then. Going to say by this logic. Yeah, it's not. An... Your entire album charted <laughs> one, two, and three. Right. But it's not an album. It's a mixtape. <laughs> From this release, you could say. I believe that's the way that Billboard is phrasing it. It's like the the th- it's the first time that three songs from a single release have charted in spots one, two, and three in the Billboard. Because I'm sure they couldn't call it an album right, either. Because they don't you know, know what the hell to call it either. It's technically an EP. It's just that in the streaming age, that doesn't mean anything. So. Right. Anyway. So, anyways, what we're dancing <laughs> around is that it's a big week for Drake. <laughs> yes. As number one. What's next is your number one song this week by Drake. At number two, Wants and Needs are What's Next, which is also by Drake. And then rounding out that top three spots by Drake is Lemon Pepper Freestyle, which I believe you can order at your Wild Wings. Yes. Because that's how that's my order at the Wild Wings, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that is featuring Rick Ross. I, however, Rick don't Ross recommend thing. you order, uh, you go to the Coke Freestyle machine and go to Lemon Pepper as your Coke flavor, because I don't think that would be very good. No, do not do that. Also, do <laughs> not order Lemon Aid and then put pepper in it to get Lemon Pepper. That's not how that works. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to Drake. <laughs> For kicking off a 16 year old off number one spot <laughs> with your top three songs. <laughs> hey, she's no longer driving in that. Well, no, she's still driving in that. No, she's still there because real. at number four is not her. It's yeah. Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic and yes. rounding out your top five driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo. We should probably explain what that Silk Sonic thing is. Silk Sonic is Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. I believe, and they actually premiered the song on the Grammys, which we will talk about in just a moment. Wait, so that's not a duo joint? That's a group? It's not they, featuring? Okay. I think what it 
started as was just Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack wanted to collaborate, but now they're stylizing themselves as and trying to sell it as a band that they're in. Because that was the thing that happened at the Grammys. Pre the Grammys, they were supposed they were slated to perform, but not right. under the name of Silk Sonic. They went on to Twitter, Bruno Mars mostly, and tried a Twitter basic campaign basically to get the, the fans to support them to get the Academy to call it a performance by Silk Sonic so they could launch this as their band. And it was apparently successful as that's what happened at the performance at the Grammys. So, so Gnarls Barkley all <laughs> yeah, over again. Think Gnarls Barkley, exactly. It's that kind of idea where it's like, it's really these artists, but yeah, you know what? Let's just call it the band name so the band known as silk sonic we'll get to them a little later right but before that we have uh, the billboard 200 your albums chart or do and once again <laughs> drudging its album out here danger russ calling the double album by morgan wallen and get rid of it still your number one song Number one album. At number two, it's Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by mm-hmm. Pop Smoke. Yep. At three, Shiesty Season by Pooh Shiesty. At number four, After Hours by The Weeknd. <laughs> and rounding out your top five, The Voice by Lil Durk. I swear. And if all of that sounds familiar, because it was the exact same thing last week. Didn't change a whole lot. Actually, it's not because the highlights was the weekend album in the top five last week. And it has been replaced by After Hours. This keeps happening. They keep swapping (laughs) spots and I don't know why. (laughs) I guess it's whatever album or whatever album you're listening to Blinding Lights on. Yeah, exactly. It's like whatever (laughs) Blinding Lights version you're on, keep swapping. (laughs) Who knows? Well, if you didn't like any of those albums... We have new releases. Right. Ooh, we got some good ones this week. It's an it's an interesting pack of releases this week, if they all come out. <laughs> if they all come out. Yeah. Because they include Justice by Justin Bieber. Yeah. Yeah, that Justin Bieber. That Justin <laughs> Still Woman Enough by Loretta Lynn. Today... We're the Greatest by Middle Kids. Which is fun. <laughs> uh, duets by Sting. Yeah, yes, that's Sting. That's Sting. Duets with who? I don't know. You're just going to have to listen and find out. You can find out who Sting duets with. Yeah. I hear that it takes a very long time and that it's kind of like a weird tantric thing for him. I'm not giving you that one. Ancient sting jokes here on the Media Boat Podcast. That won't make sense to anybody <laughs> under the age of 30. Moving on. Exactly, not our audience. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lastly, finally, the Lana Del Rey album, yeah. Chemtrails Over the Country Club. New yeah, release which, this week. It's Is weird, it? considering how critically acclaimed her last one was, there's been zero hype for this thing. It seems like everybody's forgotten that this thing even exists and is coming out this year. So I'm very curious after that single came out and I listened to it and was kind of disappointed in it. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see how this does. Yeah, I mean, especially coming off the hype that you had last year or two years ago for the, for the long years ago. Yeah. 
um, the no- fucking Norman Rockwell or Norman fucking Rockwell. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you got it. Norman explicit tag Rockwell. Just a tag. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, before time. we get to the Grammy talk, because we're gonna have a lot to talk about the Grammy talk. We are. Let's talk about uh, someone who was wasn't at the Grammys. Was at the Grammys? Not this year. Not this. But year. she has been in the past. Yes. Uh, she's also been in rehab in the past. Yes. Demi Lovato. Yes. Besides the Grammys, this was a demi-saturated news week in the music world. It was pretty much the only two things that happened. Um, she has kind of the background of this story is that she has a YouTube original documentary coming out this week that kind of goes into her stint at rehab, her struggles with addiction, uh, stuff, other things that are in her past. Apparently it's very revealing. I don't know anybody who has YouTube originals uh, or YouTube, whatever red is there. Are they still calling it red premium they premium, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I don't know anybody who has that. So I don't know anybody who's watched this or is going to. So kind of hard to comment on it but it exists it's out there yep because during the live stream on clubhouse monday night so are you familiar with clubhouse no oh you precious little child let me tell you (laughs) is if it's not mickey's clubhouse i don't know it so clubhouse is a thing that's very popular with old people on facebook what it is it's like imagine podcasts but they're live and they're like Zoom calls, but without the video. Clubhouse is this place where you can basically sign up and there'll be like lectures, sort of. Like imagine like a TED talk with like an active audience okay. where somebody says, I'm an expert on so and such, such and such. Like I'm an expert at non fungible tokens. Sign up for my non fungible tokens Clubhouse th- stream and I will talk at you for an hour and tell you what I know about non fungible tokens. And, and people sign up for this and thing. they'll respond. Yeah, there's some sort of question and answer portion at the end, but but mostly it's so it's just people who are alleged experts on subjects that are trying to talk at people for a while, and they pay for this. You pay now, for this experience. Now, do you have to be an expert on a subject to launch a clubhouse? There is no way you can prove it. That's the thing about Clubhouse, and that's what's happened to Clubhouse, is it's attracted a lot of people who claim that they're experts at something that actually aren't. But people will buy into it because they're literally paying for it, and so they'll believe it. What? So you mean they're literally buying it? Yes, literally buying what they're selling. <laughs> it's like, as you might imagine, this has attracted a lot of conservative pundits. This has attracted a lot of people that are into uh, Bitcoin. That's why I use the non-fungible tokens example. This has attracted a lot of people who are in the um, startup world, a lot of tech, like tech bros. Um, so it's exactly the kind of audience that you might expect it to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's what Clubhouse hmm. is, to fill in the gaps. I'm not really sure why Demi Lovato is on Clubhouse, but here we are. Could we be on Clubhouse? No, I don't think she we're usually would be. We're technically experts, right? <laughs> She's an expert on Demi Lovato herself. But we're an expert <laughs> on media, boats, and podcasting. <laughs> no, we're not getting on Clubhouse before you say <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. Anyway. Anyways. So here's the story. So with that roundabout. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just needed you to know what Clubhouse was. All right. So during the live stream on Facebook. <laughs> no, it's Clubhouse. Separate company. Completely different Facebook. brand. All right. I just Clubhouse. used the Facebook example because it has a lot of crossover. Like that Venn, Venn diagram is pretty close. So. Okay. So Clubhouse is a separate company then. It's a separate company. It's not owned by Facebook. All right. 
So during the live stream on Monday on Clubhouse, which I've just learned about, <laughs> literally your brain's exploding just like mine right now. <laughs> Demi Lovato revealed that her first album since 2017 will be titled Dancing with the Devil, dot, 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 The Art of Starting Over, and will release on April 2nd. Just because putting on April 1st would be uh, April Fool's Day joke. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Lovato explained that the original title was just The Art of Starting Over, but then she decided to give it a double title to reflect the importance of, wouldn't you know it, her upcoming documentary, Dancing with the Devil. Quote, if you listen to it track by track, If you follow the track listing, it's kind of actually like the non-official soundtrack of the documentary, because it really does follow my life over the past couple of the years. When we went through the track listing and kind of mapped out how it kind of coincided with my life story, it made sense to add the more emotional stuff in the beginning and then transition into the art of starting over. So we have a new album by Demi Lovato and, as you mentioned, a new documentary series on YouTube Premium. I don't believe it's a series. I think it's just a one-off thing. YouTube paid YouTube subscription. Yeah, it's some sort of YouTube documentary. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. I don't know if, if anybody has access to this. I don't know, but it seems interesting. There's some quotes that are coming out of it that make me ex- exceptionally worried, even though I was already worried about Demi. Now even more worried about Demi. Um, she seems to have gone through some real shit. So. Right, and as we've seen with Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish, behind-the-scenes documentaries are pretty popular right now. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a hot time for them, especially in the pop world, but uh, Demi's story is so different Oh yeah, and the Britney from Spears, them. And uh, the Britney Spears thing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the, what kind of sets Demi's apart is that uh, there's a lot heavier content in this thing, from what I understand, and definitely what I'm hearing from people who have watched this thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, buyer beware on that one. Um, so, yeah, expect a lot of a lot of wild, heavy stuff from this. Well, if it's featuring Demi Lovato's life, it will be wild and heavy stuff. That's what I'm saying. So, all right. But I, mean, I can't really speak much to it because I have not seen it. So. All right. But what I did see, oh, I saw something. We need to open up the can of worms that is Sunday night's Grammys. Okay. (laughs) That's right. Um, So before we get the thoughts, we need to talk about the Grammys. I guess the Grammys was, we'll cover our thoughts on that right now. And it's, yeah, this is kind of news and our thoughts about the thing because they're kind of intertwined in a way. So Grammys, we'll just talk about them. That's the, that was kind of my idea, but then you went all newsy and actually wrote down the big winners. So let's just go through well, those. Yeah. Well, because get those know, out in of the case way. we don't remember or you know, yeah. we actually want to be accurate in our reporting, yeah. I wrote them down. So we're not just like, wait, what did they win? Huh? What right. was that? Right. Who won? So um, first off. Reverse order here. Congratulations on your, your winnings. <laughs> yes. For the audience uh, of the podcast, I'm happy to say that I won the $20 bet. Uh, because Folklore by Taylor Swift was your album of the year this year, beating your pick, Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia. 
But While I agree with you, nostalgia did win pop album of the year. Oh yeah, no, so. which I knew it would. That's the thing is that it, I, I said to Christy the day before that the, the awards ran, I was like, Dua Lipa will do okay in the the pop categories, and then, but Taylor will take album. I did right. not and predict when, when song or record. Album, I was like, hey, this is it. Yeah. I got the I got the the inside track here. That was the one she was guaranteed to win. But yeah. The ones I didn't call because I was like, who the hell knows, were song and record. And good thing I didn't because I would have gotten those both wrong. <laughs> right, because song of the year went to I Can't Breathe by oh. her. And record of the year was Everything I Wanted by Billie Eilish, which I feel is just the Grammys doubling down on last year's big Billie Eilish push. That seems like the read that a lot of people are taking is that Billie is now... I guess what the grannies deem as safe, which is wild to think about, thinking about what that album sounds like. But here we are. Uh, It seems like Billy is officially, yeah, Grammy caliber after last year. And so they didn't feel too weird about giving it to her, even though it seems like most people think it's a weaker song than anything that was on the record proper. I'm not one of those people, actually. I think this might be my favorite of Billy's songs. I like the simplicity of it, and I like that it's more traditional structure. But that's because I'm the person I am, and it seems like that's an unpopular opinion. So I actually am happy for this win because I do think it's a very well-produced song. It's also the Academy doubling down on giving Phineas uh, Producer of the Year last year. Mm-hmm. He wasn't nominated this year, but it makes sense that that logically travels, right? Because Record of the Year is the production award. It is not the songwriting award. So it makes sense that it, something that they've already given a Grammy to production wise would win record of the year. I still wanted so badly for Dua Lipa to win in this category as well, though. Well, yeah, I want Dua Lipa to win in all categories. But yeah. That's my bias showing. Yeah. And yeah, but as for song of the year, this one confused me and a lot of people, it seems, because I don't know if anybody that I know has heard that her song. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That, that And I think that even was the thing about her winning Best New Artist a couple of years back, too, where it was just like, wait, who is this? <laughs> because I, I've heard of her. Like, I've seen yeah. her on posters, <laughs> and, uh, like, concert announcements. And no, I don't want this to be seen as a slight to her. I think she's talented. But it definitely seems like every once in a while the Grammys will pick somebody out of nowhere and all of a sudden they'll be Grammy royalty and that seems to be her right now. Right now it's her before yeah. it was um, Lord came out of nowhere it seems like. Eh, Lord wasn't really a Grammy winner though. I think the, the Fire came out of nowhere. <laughs> no, not for me. That wind came out of nowhere. <laughs> I guess for some people. No, but the example that I'm coming back, and this is has you has to you have to go back 25 years for this reference. So bear with me. Remember Nora Jones? Yes. <laughs> that seemed like that. Also, remember Esperanza Spalding, the jazz yes. singer? Yeah. So these things keep happening. And again, they're all great at what they do. I'm not saying anything bad against any of them, including her. It's just it seems weird considering what she was up against in that song of the year category that they chose that song. And maybe they're trying to make some sort of political statement here. They do that elsewhere over the, the telecast as well. And so it may, maybe made sense in that way. But still to honor the song of the year, it seems very strange to pick something that got no chart time and that was on nobody's radar. 
Well, speaking of making a statement, <laughs> do you notice that the weekend was the host? <laughs> uh, so yeah, the whole weekend thing is another yeah, conversation. So we kind of talked about news, it, but tangential to the Grammys. Uh, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weekend came out and said that he would not put. He was urging his record company to not put up his album for any yes. Grammy-related award ever. in the future. In yeah, the future. ever again. So this is not a new move. Some other artists have done this as well. It's just I think the weekend is probably the most profile, the highest profile artist to do that in a long time. Um, and yeah, it's basically just hey, say, him basically saying is like I don't agree with the way their process of choosing records or choosing people to to honor so i want out i don't know i'm gonna bother yep uh but host um trevor noah <laughs> hairstyle was definitely very weekend like <laughs> yeah he's letting me grow out which i don't blame him we all are right now we all are yes we all are uh, under this beautiful cap <laughs> i gotta wear these headphones or else i would also wear a hat um <laughs> Well, you but yeah. wear hats, but this is just for today. It's got the green king's logo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought Trevor Noah did an okay job. I think that he did well with the stuff that he was given. Um, I don't know. Is this one oh, you want to talk about the production of the actual telecast, or do you want to get through the rest of these awards? Let's get through the awards first. Okay. That's what we're here for, and then we'll talk about telecast. <laughs> is that what's, that's what we're here for. Oh, I didn't even know. I mean, you're here for the awards, right? So, other winners <laughs> of the night. Yeah, I like how quickly you moved on from that because you knew what my answer is going to be. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Other winners from the night include Tiffany Haddish. She's now Grammy Award winning. Yep. Hildur uh, Gundotter. Uh, Say that again. Hildur Gundotter <laughs> um, is also a Grammy winner. That was for the uh, Joker album. So she yes. won for an Oscar and a Grammy for that. Uh, for that album. Taika Waititi is now officially a Grammy winner because the Jojo Rabbit soundtrack is a Grammy winner. Mm-hmm. And he produced, helped produce that, so he's technically a Grammy winner. Yeah. Uh, also, No Time to Die, the Billie Eilish Bond song, mm-hmm. is a Grammy winner. And the first time that a soundtrack from a movie that has won that the movie has not been released yet. Yeah, of course, the Grammys didn't know that when the nominations happened, uh, that they would be pushed back even further. So, but yeah, it's still a fun little bit of trivia. It also meant that uh, Billy took home two Grammys uh, over yep. the course of the night. But of course, the big winner of the night, yes. uh, who I didn't realize was even going to be there, and yeah. kind of like, oh, she's actually there. Oh, yeah, this is actually a big deal now. Um, Beyonce. Yes. That is quite a special night, as not only did she share a win with her daughter, Blue Ivy Carter, yeah, um, but she also won her 28th Grammy of her career, breaking the record for the most Grammy wins ever by a female artist and by a singer. Yeah. She's now tied with Quincy Jones at 28 Grammys, but both of them Actually, trail Hungarian British conductor Greg or George Solti, who has 31, because he was the music director of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra for 22 years, yeah, and had won multiple awards during that time. 
So to be clear, it's probably easier just to say artist in this case because both Quincy Jones and this conductor, they're not exactly what the Academy would refer to as an artist. Right. I'm not saying they're, that they're what they do is not art. Producers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying that for all intents and purposes, we can now call Beyonce the winningest Grammy artist because she is. Right, but I think Quincy Jones has one Grammy in which he did appear on as an artist. <laughs> yeah, but the oh. rest aren't that. <laughs> yeah, the rest aren't Beyonce that. Beyonce still wins. <laughs> Anyways, it's all semantics, but really all you need to know is that Beyonce set a record uh, and that she has a lot of Grammys, or as I tweeted, all of them. She has all of them. Uh, she just won all of them now. Right, so. and in case you really are wondering... It's pretty safe to say she'll cover those three Grammy difference. <laughs> yes. Probably by next, next time album. she releases a record. <laughs> yes. She does, doesn't have that much to go, uh, really. So it'll happen within our lifetimes, probably within that, within the next t- five years, I would say, yep. easily. Um, so those are the major awards. I think the only things that we didn't cover award wise, that's of note, I'm trying to think. Oh, a uh, specialty. Of the Media Boat podcast, Miranda <laughs> yes. Lambert. Yes, yes, took a country album, which I was very happy for. Yes, because she did not go up against Marin Morris in that category. Yes. <laughs> if you remember uh, during the CMAs and right. all, any, uh, the AMAs and like basically any album that uh, Wildcard was nominated for, Marin Morris was also nominated in that category and beat out, uh, beat her out every single time. Which kind of pissed me off because yeah, Wild Card and Bluebird and all the songs on that album is fantastic and she deserves the awards for it. But she always lost to Marin Morris. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like her year, her crowning year, and it was like, okay, when's when's it gonna happen? It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> and happy to see that it finally got its due for winning a Grammy. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to see I was happy to see her up there, especially for something like this, uh, which I still think is her best record in a long time. So um, it was good to see her win. Any of the other winners we didn't cover? Those seem to be the the, the important ones. Yep. Um. So I don't know. Uh, so product. Like, yeah. Like let's let's try to go through our thoughts about the night. I guess. Uh, first of all, how do you think how they did it? Because they did it outdoors. Um, they did it where they kind of split between the awards on one kind of stage area and then the performances in an indoor area in the convention center and kind of bounced between the two of them. Most of the product, like most of the performances were live, though they interspersed some that were pre-taped because I guess the more elaborate ones could not be done live. I believe the Taylor Swift performance was pre-recorded. I believe the little baby performance was pre-recorded. I think the Silver Silver Sonic one might have been pre-recorded because they were doing some camera trickery with that one that I wasn't sure if they were doing live. Right, and the BTS performance was and the BTS one was pre-recorded. Well. Uh, but besides that, though, uh, they did get a lot of live performances uh, in there, especially at the beginning. Uh, what do you think of kind of the overall kind of vibe of the night? Uh, I liked the two different stages the outdoors indoors i like that it was separate like you can see staples center you see the background um the kind of the la night sky in the back there Mm -hmm. um for the when they were accepting the awards and then 
have its own separate performances indoors because you need that stage, you need that movement, that camera yeah. placement. I thought it was really well done. I liked the transition that they did in the very opening of right. the monologue. Uh, that was key, I think. The from the one the solo take, the one shot from yes. outdoors to indoors. Because I think you needed that to be like a visual. Uh, a visual thing to show your viewer like oh this is not a separate pre-recorded location this is really happening if yes. you don't have that seamless shot you lose that magic and then it doesn't work and then the whole night is just like oh these are all pre-recorded and then people are disappointed right they're all oh, they're pre-recorded in right. the studio here in in the audience but having it having oh. seen trevor noah actually make that uh walk himself actually was really cool and I think is the reason why it all clicked. It helped sell it a lot. Also, Trevor Noah yeah. is a really good host. Yeah, he did a good job here. Again, I don't think all the jokes hit, but hey, it's an award show. They're not always going to all no. hit. But he, but like his initial jokes, like after someone winning, or yeah, like even like he stopped the show for the Beyonce award. Is <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know that. Like he's good to, yeah. to he's quick yeah. to think on his feet, and you need a yeah. good host to do that. I think you're right. I think that, yeah, his, his ability to improv, I think, came in handy in a show like this where there could be unpredictable things happening. Um, yeah, I just felt like the overall vibe of this thing was pretty classy. Like, classy is not a word that I would typically use for the Grammys, but that was the vibe I got this year, where it was just like, yeah, everything was just, seemed like it was just running smooth without a hitch, no big surprises, like, just like, just worked. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out that I didn't realize while I was watching it, but I saw after I read some Twitter uh, stuff afterwards, was that apparently only the songs played during the In Memoriam section, which I thought was actually pretty well done. Besides those songs, all of the performances were contemporary. Play, like song, All the songs were played were from the eligible window. That's rare for the Grammys. The Grammys typically are an award show that tries to get that nostalgia kick by bringing in older artists that may not even be nominated and try to have them perform with younger artists to try to get that cachet to the older audience. They right, didn't that. bother with that at all this year. They threw all that out the window, focused on the now currently streaming artists. And I think that's really smart. I think it worked into the favor. You didn't have that strange alchemy of new artists with legacy artists right. and the typical kind of tributes that they do. Yeah. And like you said, the In Memoriam was the only place that that yeah. happened. I did see some people on Twitter mention the Eddie Van Halen yeah. tribute. One, being brief. Two, not having anyone there to do it. I want to say my take on, I thought it was interesting that people were like criticizing that because my take on it in the moment was, well, when you're thinking of iconic moments, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. And two, maybe having somebody play an Eddie Van Halen song would kind of defeat the purpose of honoring his talent, right? Because the idea of Eddie Van Halen is he's important because of his skill, right? That's why they played the clip that they did. And I think that if you, as soon as you have somebody pick up that guitar and play it, you're basically saying like, oh, this person can do it too. That somehow downgrades Eddie Van Halen. I think the reason why they did it the way they did it was because they're saying, oh, only he could have done this. He's not with us anymore. So let's honor that. So on Twitter, his son came out, uh, okay. Wolf Van Halen, Wolf, okay. and said that the Academy had asked him to play. Yeah. But he said that he didn't want to do it the way mm -hmm. the Academy had, 
had pitched him in which okay. case it would have been like him with other people doing a medley right. and that makes sense how they did it because uh, that's kind of what the they did with everybody else yeah right so so yeah so we got blame him. a standalone performance which i think hit harder than yeah. had his son been up there playing with some other people i agree not to say that when they did actually do that it wasn't i actually thought that they were pretty good performances when they did do that yes um uh, i think the standouts are uh Bruno Mars's um, Little Richard, Little Richard. Uh, was really good. Um, and I'm not really that big of a Bruno Mars person, but I still enjoyed it. I thought he did a good job. Um, and uh, Brittany Howard's performance was just just wild. Of course, they kind of ruined that by then playing the commercial where she also sings that song. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's, mm, that's rough. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, overall, I think the performances were good. Yeah, I, I think enjoyed them. Even um, outside of the um, the uh, stuff, Bruno Mars's solo performance, I think that was pretty weak. And may go down with him <laughs> doing Gorilla at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me of the song Gorilla, and now, oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I fr- remember. I remember when they were like, this is his new single. And I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, what the hell is this? I got the same vibe from this performance. So <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, yes, yeah, so I agree with you. I enjoyed most of the performances here. The Silk Sonic stuff is not working for me. I don't, I don't get it. I thought the song was too long. I thought it was kind of boring. Not for me, I guess. Uh, I guess I could see how some people are like, oh, I want this thing to sound like it's 1976, but I don't need it to sound that much like 1976. Like, I don't know. It just seems unnecessary. Bruno Mars did that earlier, though. With uh, It's always been a kind of... It's always been his gimmick. It's It's just that now he's taking it to the extra level and being like, hey, but what if we were a soul band from the 70s? Like, not just emulating them, but like, no, I want to cosplay as one. (laughs) basically what this is but everything else i thought really worked um heim rocks and they killed that song um oh i'm so glad you're bringing that up because it literally stopped uh ty in his tracks like oh this (laughs) it's so good that's the great thing about that record is that you you might not know what heim was slash is and you put that song on the steps and everybody's like huh See, that's, that's a version of bringing back a very 70s sound and modernizing it, I think. They, that's an example of, yeah, that guitar tone you don't really hear anymore, but they're able to do it in a way that seems new. Yeah, he was walking through the living room and <laughs> literally stopped and just stared at the TV like, whoa, yeah. these chicks are pretty good. And like, yeah, <laughs> they're high. That's been talking about them for like seven years now. Yes. <laughs> um. I mean, it doesn't hurt that they're all very attractive. I mean... Yes, that helps too. So that might have been caught his eye as well. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> besides the point, they're very talented. But uh, but yeah, I think that, that yeah, that was a really think, early yeah, example. Yeah, I think it was like, a good night for Haim, a good night for Dua Lipa's performance, and a good, really good night for Taylor Swift's performance. Yeah, so, okay. I have a question to ask about the, the Taylor performance because I'm seeing very varying takes on this thing. I thought it was good too. I thought it was like she played the songs that mattered 
in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She didn't play all of them. You know, you're not going to get everything. You're not going to play all of them. In the single from from uh, from Evermore, even just so you could have a little dash of that in there, even though it was not recognized. Uh, and yeah, like I thought it was good, and it was like this dreamlike kind of storybook kind of thing for her which is like fitting for the vibe of that record um but it seems like a lot of people have the take of like oh it was boring compared to the other performances oh it seems stagey compared to the other performances i'm like well yeah it's a different vibe and i think that's just the thing is that folklore as an album was a very different vibe than everything else that was nominated this year and i think that that performance kind of proved that and yeah the dua lipa thing i think was fun Uh, i think um She's at her best when she's energetic, though. I think the running joke on the internet is that she doesn't, that t- she tends to perform by not giving a whole lot. <laughs> and that certainly started this way when she was just in her puffy pink cloud, all comfy. Uh, but then eventually she she got into it and it was a whole lot of fun. Yep. All right. And literally the last thing we're going to talk about the Grammys, and the last thing we need to say about it, we okay. said pretty much everything else about it. Yeah. As uh, the performance that basically has everyone divided <laughs> on whether it was good or bad and what it okay, meant. yes, yes, the thing, the thing that happened. Yes, the reason we're saving this for last is because one, I really don't want to dwell on it, so <laughs> kind of needs to move on. But two, we're saving the best for last. This is literally the one thing that people took away from yeah. the Grammys, and even if you didn't watch the Grammys, this is going to be it was a viral sensation that is going to be talked about. Like everybody's going to hey, is be like hey, remember this Grammys? This is going to be the one thing everybody remembers. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can say it. Uh, uh, well, you got the explicit tag. We got the explicit yeah, tag. Can you can say the name of the song. All right. So. Wrench <laughs> as pterodactyls. <laughs> okay, so Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion performed. Oh, we haven't even talked about Megan. By the way, this was Megan Thee Stallion's night. Oh, yeah. uh, she no, we took home. mentioned there for a best That's artist. Why I kept bringing that up because I was like, we're forgetting something big, and I know we're forgetting something big. It was Megan. Megan had a spectacular night. She won. Wow, not only like rap performance. Yeah, rap performance. Also, um, yeah. She won uh, Best New Artist. Duo, new Artist. Yeah. I said that. I must have blacked out. Uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, she had a huge night. I mean, Billie Eilish spent her record of the year uh, speech basically saying that it should be Megan's, which, you know, yes, cute move, Billie, but it's been done before, one. And uh, two, come on, just. You earned it. Just acknowledge it. I mean, like, she already got everything she ever yeah. wanted. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was the ironic part is that the song is literally about being scared of fame, being this all-encompassing monster in your life. And to then win a Grammy on that song and then to basically be like, oh, but I didn't really, like, this should be Megan Thee Stallions. Not a good look, Billy, just saying. If you don't want your, your song to win a Grammy, convince your label to not submit you for the Grammy. That's all I have to say. <laughs> like, anyway. Um, Anyways, yeah. yeah Megan, Megan Lee Stallion. Uh, capped the night by having this performance with Cardi B in which they performed WAP or Wet Ass Pussy. Oh, you find, okay, yeah. See, I was never going to say it. <laughs> the name of the song. And neither was CBS because yes. this 
was the by far the most butchered edited like full of gaps version of any song that i've ever seen premiered on the, any telecast ever it was intelligible if you didn't know the original song i think they called it wet ass purse <laughs> they didn't no they didn't even say as it was like wet, it was like syllables it was like wah, 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 or something like that because they know that they couldn't say anything close to what it actually is Right, but while the, they were too busy trying to censor their lyrics, they could not <laughs> censor their dance moves. Because, yeah, uh, as yes. Beyonce said, grinding on it, gr- grinding yes. on it. There was a lot of grinding. There was some scissoring being mimed. There was a lot of ass wiggle. Uh, there was a lot of, well, there was a giant bed that was sometimes used. There was a stiletto that was a stripper pole. Yep. There was a stripper pole attached to stiletto. Yeah, no, if Let's say that there's a certain segment of the Grammys audience that was enthralled by this thing. And there was a certain segment of the audience that was angry as shit over it. And we're still seeing the fallout on the Fox Newses of the world of people freaking out saying, this filth was on network television? And then you have had the other half of the world being like, I can't believe this filth was on network television. Rad! And (laughs) it's interesting to see kind of the discourse that's past it. Uh, But my fascination with it was the editing. So it was interesting to see what their line was. Like, can you imagine being in the room with people who had to decide what lyrics were okay and what lyrics were not? Because it seems like there is no consistency whatsoever. The line about using your using your nose as a, to swipe like a credit card was included. Yes. But the line in the chorus that refers to a bucket and a mop to clean up, they censor the word bucket, but not mop? <laughs> makes you think <laughs> yeah the performance was really out there I mean someone basically asked her to be what can you do with the song and she yeah. went huh what can I do with this song <laughs> and just went for it and CBS was left hand left out hanging with yeah. what they can censor what they can't censor and, <laughs> and like you said definitely made for some interesting conversation everywhere I enjoyed it. I'll be honest. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool to have them do a song like this on the Grammy stage. It's a huge song. They had to do it. It was the, it was one of the biggest singles of last mm-hmm. year. To not do it would be to ignore that. I think that... Well, to not do that would to instead invite The weekend to be playing <laughs> lights. Yes, I realize. But still, I think it's cool that it happened. I really enjoyed it. Spectrum was doing its own kind of censorship, though, for me, because it just so happened that during that performance, my uh, wired to the wall Ethernet connection decided to go in all buffer mode, and I could barely see what was happening on the screen the entire time. (laughs) Get that 90s connection? (laughs) Yeah, out of nowhere. I don't usually get that with television, especially on my Apple TV, because it's Ethernet. And so I'm like, why now? (laughs) I can't see shit. So, yeah, but that just, my my experience was not the norm, I don't think, but, but yeah, um, overall, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was perfect. I think that, yes, there's a lot of, still a lot of, um, a lot of tone-deaf decisions being made in the Grammys uh, Academy. I think their attempt to uh, convince you that things are changing also kind of fell pretty flat to me. Um, so yeah, it's not a perfect 
academy. It's not a perfect situation, not a perfect awards uh, platform. That being said, I think they did a good job with what they had this year, and I enjoyed my time with it. I liked it, and I'm curious to see how the other awards, um, meaning the Academy Awards, which we'll talk about later, yes, will incorporate this kind of indoor-outdoor setting and into future awards. Yeah, I think it's cool. Um, maybe the road noise not so not so so much. I mean, more than once you heard like a loud motorcycle or a helicopter interrupt a speech or two. But besides that, it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. And it was very nice to get the uh, different venues from across the U.S. Yeah, I agree, to pre- yeah. present awards. It was nice to see that shout out to the Troubadour. I was like, I've been there. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's all we have to say about the Grammys, our yes. long-winded 25, 30-minute talk that's about Why we front-loaded this half of the show. That's all yeah. I have to say, because we knew it was going to go long. Oh, yeah. But we have one album to talk about still. Yeah, I forgot this existed until earlier today when I saw somebody tweet about it and I was like, oh, I guess I probably should have listened to this. But I don't know. You, tell me, should I have listened to Nick Jonas's Spaceman? Um, warning, your mileage may vary on Nick <laughs> Jonas and Spaceman. Okay. So, much like, uh, so Nick Jonas got married and yeah. put on an album. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. As we, I mean, we've seen this before. <laughs> like you, paused, you paused for reaction. I'm like, uh, yes, 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 it is. I paused for your reaction because, you know, our, our favorite album, Golden Hour, was yeah. exactly that. Casey Westgraves got married, put out an album, and yes. won album of the year. It's a well-worn tradition, you could say. So, when I say Nick Jonas got married, mm-hmm. put out an album, you're going to get the exact same kind of cutout, which is a lot of love songs, yeah. a lot of dedicated songs, a lot of emotions in the songs, and a lot of heartfelt songs. You could probably make a good playlist out of Marital Bliss records. I think that's what you could <laughs> you could, you could put that in. I don't know, as somebody who is currently in Marital Bliss, what did you think about it? <laughs> it was super easy <laughs> listening, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. So, this album is very, very easy to listen to. I listened to it twice. Second time by accident, because I didn't realize that it started over. <laughs> <laughs> so not Actually, on your own no. volition. just going to happen to you? Hey, well, just like Mary. Well, no, it did. I mean, I just hit, like, <laughs> play again, and it's like, okay, yeah. I'll start it over, I guess. But yeah. then, like, the deluxe version, deluxe version, with, like, the three extra bonus tracks came out, I was like, I'll put that on again. Sure, let me listen to the new bonus stuff. Uh, but overall, the album itself is pretty good, but it's also pretty safe. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to pin down what exactly Nick Jonas sounds like because he <laughs> is a chameleon of voices and his tone and uh, style very easily mimic other artists who have honed their craft. Mm-hmm. Naming the aforementioned The Weeknd, mm-hmm. naming Michael Jackson, naming even Bruno Mars in some of this. That a lot of this album does sound like he's trying to sound like other artists on this album, which isn't necessarily a bad thing um, when you're riffing from the best. 
but it is bad when you don't provide any unique style to it, any of your <laughs> own influence on it. Yeah. That being said, it's very easy to listen to. I listened to it with the doctor as we went golfing, and it's a really quick listen. We went through the whole album, and I think it's only like 35 minutes. And like the whole album was just, oh, this is just a really nice album. Listen to it front to back. It's a good album doesn't quite stand out as like the star-studded love album that uh, Golden Hour was. But then again, nothing really is yeah, compared to that. Yeah, kind of hard, hard to do that. <laughs> but every song on this definitely had that hint of love and new love and fresh love and all my love for you thrown throughout it, sung throughout it. So it's a good album in that aspect and Definitely a recommend for easy listening, easy long drive listens. Not necessarily going to show up on my album of the year. No. But I didn't really expect that out of Nick Jonas. <laughs> I did expect an easy listen to, and that's what Spaceman is. Okay. A really nice, safe album to put on. Dare I say mom album? Yeah, I could see that. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I'll have to give it a try. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's it's hard when you're someone an, an act like that, especially an act that has its origination in a group. I think it's really hard to set out as your own. I think the members of One Direction are also going through this kind of identity crisis. Harry Styles is really the only one that's been able to break the mold and have his own kind of image and style. And I don't know if Nick's quite there. And to listen to you talk about this, maybe he hasn't gotten there yet. It's like he's so busy emulating his heroes that he's not quite an independent voice yet, but maybe he'll get there. He did pull Double Duty two weeks ago on SNL. Yeah, I didn't watch that, but I heard it was okay. It's okay. Yeah. I'm telling you it's okay, so you heard it's okay. (laughs) I've heard that, yes. Okay, well... Cool. So yeah, is, that a, um, is that a recommend, do you think? It's a recommend because it is an easy listening to album. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, yeah. it can easily be a background album, as I've talked about before, where you put it on and it's like, oh yeah, I didn't realize this was in the background, but I kind of like what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. That's good. What was it? Like shopping mall music? <laughs> sure yes maybe not in quite a, shopping mall in music. a time where we can't have shopping mall music that might be good to hear for some yeah. people okay yeah, easy listening to well in that case i uh i did I, I do actually have to say i did listen to that drake thing but we already talked about those songs and honestly i don't remember anything about any of them so i don't have anything to say about it it's drake i don't know if you like drake listen to it so i, I guess the lemon pepper that. wasn't that spicy then no, I don't remember anything except he does say the word lemon pepper somewhere in that freestyle, but I don't remember in what context. I think he's might be ordering some chicken. Well, what's next? <laughs> That's I don't remember anything about what's next either. Do you remember oh, yeah, anything on the podcast? His wants and needs. I who can say? Let's move on. And in a rare moment, we flip it to me. Yeah, we're gonna we flip this to you. Television. Talk about TV. So, we always start television with the sports corner, and it's no different this week. Let's scroll up to the sports corner here. And let me type the words sports corner. Right, and while you do that, let me just uh, start by saying that 
today. Yes, starting today. Today. The NFL free agency period has begun. Yes. So. What does that mean, Matt? Uh, it means that the free agency people are going to get picked up by teams? Yes, it means players can yes. officially be signed. <laughs> yes, okay. So any like contracts that you, that we've previously either talked about between the end of the Super Bowl and now can now finally be finalized. I'm starting to think that this po- doing this podcast with me has just been a long con for you to get me into sports. Uh, I am not either <laughs> confirming nor denying that. <laughs> because it's almost worked. You know a lot more about sports now. Than you yeah, because it's almost worked. That's the crazy thing. It's, it's been so like subconscious. I didn't even realize it was happening. Anyway, let's talk about the sports corner on that note. First up, also in NFL news, one of the greats, well, maybe not so great in recent years, but one of the players we used to call great um, has officially retired. And that, of course, is Brew Drees of the New Orleans Saints. He has the most career passing yards ever at 80,358. Most career pass completions at 7,142. Most consecutive games with a touchdown pass, 54. And the highest single season completion percentage, 74.4%. Most pass completions in a season, 471. Most 5,000-yard passing seasons, a total of five. He's uh, now retired, though, no longer be playing the game. Um, Brugeries, a legend. Yes, the legend Brugeries. Of course, not officially his name. (laughs) Yeah, what we call it's him. what we call him. Uh, Drew Brees is who we're talking about for those who are not uh, in our weird world of every football player has to have a nickname. Uh, <laughs> I still wish you had that picture of that, that whiteboard. That was I have it somewhere. Up. It's somewhere. I have it um, somewhere. Yeah, um, I think when and he was at his peak, he was a real fun player to watch. Yep. Um, My favorite memory of Drew Brees is the day he got let go from the San Diego Chargers. Yeah. And got shipped off to New Orleans. Yeah. Because that was 2006. Yeah. And actually, fun fact, the day he announced his retirement was the 15-year anniversary of him signing with <laughs> the Saints. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that he had such a storied career at in New Orleans that I actually totally forgotten that he played at San Diego originally, which is crazy because I remember that was also a big deal. Uh, And so, yeah, he's always been kind of a player that a lot of people have had their eyes on. Yep. That 2005, 2006 draft class, Mm -hmm. um, which for those of you who don't know, the reason Drew Brees was basically forced out of San Diego was because they decided to move ahead with Philip Rivers, his replacement who was drafted by the New York Giants at the time (laughs) in a famous trade swap with the quarterback that the San Diego Chargers decided to draft, Eli Manning. That's how he ended up on the Giants. How (laughs) Philip Rivers ended up from the Giants to the Chargers and how Drew Brees ended up from the Chargers to New Orleans. And what a history that all of those players made. Yep. <laughs> Which and the note that both of those players had retired before mm-hmm. Drew Brees decided to retire. Right. But you know what? He was trying. He, we, the, the Saints got pretty close, uh, but just no, no dice. Um, yeah. He just can't throw like he used to. Uh, 
I mean, especially in those last couple of games, you saw he wasn't throwing anything past 20 yards. Yeah. Um, He just knew that his time was done. Yeah, but what he's done for the city of New Orleans, I mean, bringing a championship to it and playing in the Superdome that literally housed thousands of people from post-Katrina. Just forever a legend. Yeah. Can't wait for that statue to be erected there. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Instantly. So, yeah. uh, Um, Goodbye, Brudry is our favorite football player. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Now, who is the oldest football player in the NFL? Is it not Tom Brady? Is indeed. It is. Not Tom Brady. Not Tom Brady. Is it a kicker? I feel like it's always a kicker because they're allowed to get old. Yes, it is a kicker. Hey, I knew that. <laughs> okay, who? Who? Tell me. Enlighten me. Enlighten you? Yeah. Uh, it is none other than former uh, Packers kicker, former Colts kicker, current free agent because he is not signed with a team. Adam Vinatieri. He's still playing. <laughs> the reason I, I say uh, that is because. Yeah. He's still technically a free agent because he has not signed any retirement papers. Wow. Haven't you been calling him old man Vinatieri for like the last 10 years? <laughs> yes, I think the nickname all the yeah. board is old man Vinatieri. And yeah, and you've been calling him that for like the last decade. He's only getting older. <laughs> yeah, but he is not officially filed for retirement. So Just to show you. Therefore, he is still technically available in free agency should anyone want to pick him up. And yeah. he's technically the <laughs> oldest yeah. player. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, that being said, yes, Tom Brady would then be the second yeah. oldest. And he, both he's of not them. retiring, apparently. Both of those players are the only players left born in the 1970s. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Uh, considering that an NFL career usually doesn't last longer than 10, 15 years. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, uh, we're looking at literal millennials. Yeah. Not not millennials, Gen Z, whatever, 2000, anyone born past 2000 entering the league? Um, I think the millennial cutoff this year, this is, year 21. Yeah. I this, this say, usually people say the cutoff is about like 96. Well, I'm talking about like actual your birth year begins with a two. Oh yeah, no, they're definitely Zoomers. <laughs> in that case, we'll get yeah. there. But I think in yeah, we're, case, yeah, it seems I like it's a mostly year, millennial, mostly millennial uh, with like a little Zoomer quotient at the end there. Right. I'm not sure if last year's draft class or this year's draft class mm-hmm. will include the bulk of those who were yeah. birthdays start with a two, which but, is wild. We're going to get into post 9-11 football players here. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other category whole other thing. Anyway, uh, let's move on because we have other sports to talk about that aren't football. But football does linger in its postseason absence. Yep. Uh, and once like all these quarterback decisions get made, we'll have a breakdown when that happens of who went where because that is very fascinating to me. Yeah. But the biggest, of course – sports story that's a rumbling right now is because hey check your calendars it's march time to get mad and the ncaa tournament bracket has been set and here are the number one seeded teams 
Gonzaga, which I know is pronounced Gonzaga because I heard somebody say that that way on television. It blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, that's how you say that? It sounds wrong. How are you going to say it? Gonzaga? Gonzaga. Zaga. Gonzaga. Good old Gonzaga. Uh, who has a 26 to nothing record right now, which is pretty impressive. Illinois, Michigan, and Baylor. So those are the ones to look for in the bracket. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that it's 26 and 0 because no team since I think 1976 has won, been ranked number one in preseason, mm-hmm. gone on to win the NCAA tournament. But also, not since then, has any team gone undefeated, undefeated. to win the tournament. So if, if they're able to pull that off, there's quite a historical season for them. Uh, it'd be a 50-year drought, 40-year yeah. drought in NCAA tournament. Impressive. Undefeated team has ever happened. And then meanwhile, we have the win. They are definitely going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that means it's a safe bet to make. Pencil in that upset yeah. right now. <laughs> that means I got to fill out my bracket for tomorrow, too. Yeah, you got to fill out your bracket. Get, get your bracket ready. Uh, speaking of brackets, the women are also playing, and the NCAA W tournament bracket has also been set. Here are their number one seed teams. Connecticut, Stanford, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So. Uh, yep, uh, Connecticut, Afrima- or affectionately uh, known as the women of Yukon, the Huskies. Oh. Always a top seeded, always, always favored. They have a great program there. Same with the Stanford women basketball team. Yeah. So yeah, um, a lot of basketball. Uh, so a lot of college basketball to, to watch. So get ready if that is your thing, because there's going to be plenty of it. Those games begin tomorrow for us as of this recording on Thursday and will continue until the first week of April. Yes. The champion is crowned. Until there is one. Yes. Until there is one. Until um, what is it? The shining moment? Yes. The one curse. shining moment. One shining moment gets sung. It's not See, over until know, one shining moment you gets know. sung. <laughs> you know. You've told me about the, sh- the manly man tears for the last five years doing this Manly show, man so. tears. So we'll get there. But before we do, baseball is hurtling closer and closer to opening day, and we are learning more and more about seat capacity in stadiums. Seems like the league doesn't have any sort of restrictions as individual areas are making their own choices about how many people they're letting in. Here at local, the story is that there will be fans in attendance at local games, but it will be a portion and not full capacity. Right, because in every state and every county for each of these stadiums has different restrictions. Restrictions, and in this case, brings us to Texas. Some places are opting for no restrictions whatsoever, which not surprising in Texas, considering that their own governor pretty much waved the white flag about a couple weeks ago and said anything goes now. And so that's the approach that the uh, Texas stadiums are having in the MLB. 100% 100% capacity for opening day over there. So if you want to go to a baseball game and slash also get COVID, uh, you can go and attend opening day <laughs> in Texas. Uh, note that this is for the Texas Rangers in Arlington. They will be at 100% capacity. I did not see anything about the Houston Astros because yeah. I'm sure they need less fans in order to hear trash can banging. Yeah. <laughs> but I would assume though, that if you're Houston... And if you're involved in the operations of that stadium, 
you're going to probably see the lucrativeness of those ticket sales and you're probably want to also hundred percent. Yes. And probably also just go for it. I would not be surprised if you see all sports in Texas adopt this, except for the ones where it's league mandated like hockey. Yep. So get ready for that. Uh, it's also important to note that no, of if you're thinking that, oh, wow, the, the vaccine percentage must be pretty high over there. The answer is no, no, it is not. And they're doing it anyways. So keep that in mind when you watch those full capacity games and just be happy it's not you. That's why I won't be going <laughs> until I get vaccinated, which right. currently my schedule is looking at a dot, dot, dot eventually. <laughs> yes, exactly. TBD. Kind of where I'm at too. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Or I'm currently on the Justin Timberlake uh, <laughs> yeah. process. Uh-huh, which is? It's going to be May. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> May 1st, yeah, and the floodgates open for everybody. Thanks, Biden. I got my Biden bucks today. I don't know if you did. Uh, I did as well this morning. Yeah. I was like, cool. I paid off Straight my car. Savings. <laughs> paid off my car, so that, that happened. Anyways. Very nice. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Also, I'm probably going to donate some, uh, some causes. Oh, I should have probably said this at the beginning of the show, but... Uh, it's our duty here at the Media Pool Podcast to stay up on current events, and I just want to mention um, so that we can, uh, so that we mention it and kind of do our our public duty. Our hearts go out to the families uh, who uh, of the people who were lost lost in the um, the killings, the murders that happened last night in uh, several massage parlors in Atlanta. Um, it seems like this is a part of a growing uh, stigma against elderly Asian people and Asian people of all sorts. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye on that. Donate to causes if you can. There's a lot of active causes, including, I believe it's called Red Canary Song, um, that are um, raising money for uh, for Asian communities. Go out there and support. And um, yeah, and call it what it is. These are racist hate crimes, and uh, it's messed up. This is something that still happens with regularity here in the U.S. So yeah, just want to say our heart goes out to the victims, the families of the victims, and that try to do what you can to stay aware all right let's move on to television news and we always start well we don't always start but we have the blessing of starting with some streaming bits for you the bits the bits the bits so none of these bits were actually big i mean some of them were probably big enough for a big story but hey, hey there hey. were so many of them we're gonna throw it all into one, one. First up in the streaming bits, Netflix is doing something that I'm sure a lot of people will hate and think very controversial of. They are going to start cracking down on password sharing. Supposedly the screen that will show if you are one of those shared accounts will say, quote, if you don't live with the owner of this account, you need your own account to keep watching and probably send you to a signup screen. So it looks like this is a result of them actually researching and developing technology that can track a shared account. It involves IP. Um, there's already companies that do this. Spotify's home sharing actually will track your location. Um, you opt into it when you sign up for the family. And if you are not residing at the same address, they will sometimes send you a thing basically saying, hey, can you remind us what your address is? Just if, and that is their way of kind of ensuring. So what I will say is this is probably their version of that. And what I will also say is it's probably very easy to fudge. So I don't th think that we should get worried about this quite yet. The Spotify thing is really easy to ignore. It never came up when we were using it. 
So I think that until the technology gets scarily accurate, which is not yet, this is a future problem. Um, this Netflix is also can try a slow rollout. Right. So Netflix can few try. Are experiencing this right now. I just do not think that this is going to get to the point where they're able to know immediately quite yet. So, but just keep it on your radar, I guess, is what I'll say is that, that these companies will try eventually. But this is also an avenue for Netflix to introduce family plans. And I would not be surprised if by this time next year, they have one in place. Yeah, it seems weird that they don't have family plan. I mean, they know they have accounts to set up within it, but... And they have multiple screens in there. It's up to four, I believe, for the upper tier. Um, But still, I don't know. I don't know why they're trying to police when it really doesn't affect their business, but... Well, once they see their new subscribers start to, like, flatline, that's when Mm -hmm. they have to, like, try and kick it back up. Yeah. But to solve that, but to solve that problem, they should be thinking about their content, not about who's sharing their password. But new random content every Friday. Yeah, I, I wish. No, just let me have a random button for a single show. That's all I want. <laughs> let me have a random button for a single show, and I, that goes for every streaming service. All of you, do that. It was the one thing I missed from when The Simpsons were on the FX Now app. I just want a random button. It's yep. all I want. Anyway. Next streaming bit, Peacock. Apparently only generated $118 million for the year 2020, which lost Comcast an estimated $914 million. It is in the red, folks. That's not a good business model. Not yet. But that's the thing, is it's year one of Peacock. If I'm Comcast, I'm not freaking out yet because just like the conversation we had about HBO... It takes some time for streaming services to get their legs and to get rolling. It takes time for anything. And I think that Peacock is an interesting position because it has a free tier. So they also have to be like, yes, we have a certain number of people that are watching our shows. We have to remember that not everybody is paying for them. Right, but even Disney Plus had its own slow rollout from the first month. Yeah. Other until Mandalorian came around. And mm-hmm. got people to sign back up for right. season two. That by so, then people were like subscribing for the whole year. Yeah. So I wouldn't count Peacock out yet. I think there's still a time, uh, there's still time for it to get its Mandalorian. Um, maybe the wrestling rollout is the thing that gets them um, a little bump. We'll see how it goes for them. Um, speaking of wrestling rollout and Peacock. Uh, this weekend, you can watch Fastlane on Peacock. Oh, Fastlane. Because I've seen those ads constantly now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, not, to be confused with Fastlane, not to be confused with Fastlane, the drama that ran on Fox in the 2000s. Remember Fastlane? No, I was just getting fast past Fastlane. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the other thing I will say about Peacock is if the Olympics happen, if they tie that into a Peacock subscription, that could be very lucrative and that could be the bump they need too. So we'll see. Right. We've also seen how Peacock is forming uh, the EU League, the European Soccer League, mm-hmm. and the NHL bits that they have into Peacock as well. Yeah. As well as NASCAR into USA, mm-hmm. as well as Peacock, or as yeah. well as a WWE. They're slowly going to start competing 
directly with ESPN in terms of streaming uh, sports. So anyways, what we're trying to say here is I think that these numbers seem scary, but Peacock is a work in progress. And if all of these things hit the, the way they, they, that NBC wants them to, I think we'll have a different story come 2022. But I'm no expert. Who knows? And we'll find out, I guess, when we get there. Right. And let's not forget that even though $914 million loss sounds like a lot, <laughs> it is. NBC Universal, parent company, Mm-hmm. generated 27.2 billion dollars yeah. for the year and that's just the entertainment division when you consider they're owned by comcast the biggest telecommunications company in the world they don't have nothing to worry about that's like that's like a small like slice of the pie when you're thinking that's about how much money they're a worth. percent yeah. of revenue even. for them <laughs> so they're willing to take whatever time it takes to bake peacock enough to make it the thing they want it to be i so. think they they will have that eventually. It's just speaking, how long you're going to wait eventually for. Yeah. And speaking of eventually, uh, HBO Max is already getting to that eventually because they're trying to speed run the process as fast as they can. We already talked about their kind of leap from um, being in the red into maybe some profit and this move with movies premieres that they've done. And here's another move that they're hoping that attaches some new subscribers. They're going to do a Peacock and launch a cheaper ad-supported tier in June. Their goal by 2025 is to up their subscriber target to from 120 to 150 million subscribers. And this is part of the path to get to getting there. Do you think that a cheaper tier will help? I think so. I think, uh, yeah. It definitely helps. I think it's helping Peacock with its numbers. I believe that oh, there's a lot of good stuff on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it helps... it's going to be weird to see where they place those ads on mm-hmm. uh, HBO stuff, programs yeah. that don't have regular commercial breaks. I would guess. Here's my guess. You you would put it in the front and yeah. Here, here, here's my it. guess is that I think that what you do is. And I think a lot of the ad-supported versions of these uh, services do the same thing, which is it's very dependent on the thing you're watching. Like Hulu is like this, where it's like some of the networks mandate that there are regular ads during their stuff. Basically, they make no difference between the Hulu version of their thing and the video on demand version. Some are more lenient. So I think you're going to see it tiered by not just the subscription tier that you're at, but what you're watching. So yeah, I agree. The HBO content, you're probably going to get served like four ads at the beginning, four ads at the end. For the network shows, you're probably going to get ads during ad breaks. For like three, for the two act kid shows, you're probably going to get ads stuffed before middle end. So it's going to depend on what you're at, what you're watching. I think. See, I'm not sure because I don't pay for ads. <laughs> I try to do my best to avoid them as much as I can. I mean, now I'm at a point where I'm not paying any service for ads right now, but. I've watched enough streaming with ads yes. to know uh, that, that that's basically how it works at this point. Um, so yeah, I would not be surprised. I mean, even Paramount has this, like Paramount launched with this uh, tiering where there is a ad supported cheaper version and a no ads, more expensive version. So it does make sense that HBO would be adapting this because it's now the norm. Everybody but Disney and Netflix are doing it this way. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, wait, no, Disney's doing it through Hulu, though. Not I mean, Disney yes, Plus. but you know what I mean. Disney Plus is not doing it. Yes. But, yeah. 
Hulu was the first one to do it this way. And so, yeah, they kind of were the trendsetter. Which is Speaking kind of what of, people are kind of expecting it, though. Yeah. Speaking of Disney Plus, Disney Plus has topped 100 million subscribers worldwide. This is up from the 94.9 million they reported last month. CEO Bob Chapek also announced 100 plus new titles per year across all its brands. He also mentioned that eventually ESPN Plus will be embedded into Hulu for ease between platforms. So basically, I guess if you're a subscriber to both, this is similar to the way that you can bake HBO and Showtime into Hulu. Yes. Is it'll exist as an app within Hulu so that way you're not backing out to go into a different app. That's what they eventually want to do here. Yep. Um, makes sense, especially if since Disney uh, at Disney offers the triple play bundle, yeah, as they the call bundle. it, for Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, makes sense. Just to roll into one. Congratulations to that 100 millionth subscriber. I'm sure you're getting Disney Plus for a year for free because of it. No, probably not. No, you're not because you're it's Disney. Not. No, you're definitely not getting anything for it. But hey, 100 million in two years. Yeah, not bad. Pretty good. Of course. They had kind of an advantage because they're literally Disney. Hey, <laughs> everyone starts somewhere. Every, <laughs> every streaming service starts with zero subscribers. Yeah. Next up, we move to Fox. No, not the one you're thinking, the one that's now rolled into Disney. No, the one that's still Fox, the Fox that owns all the news networks. They're called Fox Corporation, and they still exist, unfortunately, to everyone. Their free streaming service that they own called Tubi, which I'm sure you've heard of, along with a bunch of other services that are similarly named that all do the same thing. Pluto TV, I think. Yeah, Pluto does the same thing. There was another one that um, Christy was telling me about that her parents clued in on. And it had also a really stupid short name. And they described what it was to her. And she's like, wait a minute, that's just Tubi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyways... Tubi is going to start funding original programs with discussions of spending to be as much of, as $4 million an episode. So Tubi is making a play. The free streamer has 33 million subscribers so far and will make $300 million in ad revenue through reruns and old films, which is mostly what you get on there. So yeah, chances are you can download the Tubi app on any, pro, on any device that you own right now and check it out. It's a wasteland of literally nothing. So. Funneling money into original programming at least can make stuff interesting, potentially. Right, but it's wasting of nothing new. If you just want to <laughs> binge old stuff, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, but it's weird. So these things seem to operate on a classic television format, which means here's a fat cable-style guide of all these things that are playing. And they just play on loop. And there's channels that are about whatever the hell that they can get channels for. There's a channel on these services that is the Bob Ross channel, and all it does is show Bob Ross painting things in loops forever. Yep. Peacock does this with its channel. Peacock kind of incorporated a version of this, but the stuff that's available on the Tubies and Plutos and the Roku TVs of the world is just, it's just a wasteland. So yeah, I don't know what Fox is trying to do here, but maybe they can make Tubi relevant, but I have a feeling that they can't. <laughs> I don't know, but if you want to pitch something for a streaming network, Fox Corp will throw $4 million an episode at you. Woo! I mean, that's a brisk chunk of change. I'm hey, still not I going mean, to do If that. we want to make our pitch to Fox Corp of 
paying us to broadcast. I mean, we have episodes in the can <laughs> that they can play on loop. That's <laughs> true. I mean, Christy and I do have a pitch for an animated series, so maybe I will. Anyway, <laughs> consider it. Anyways, that'll do it for the streaming bits. We have one more news story for y'all for television. One quick news stories, because yeah. the main news story is the thoughts we have. Right. We'll get there, but first, it's that time of the season where we're getting a little bit of a refresh on the SNL season and learning what the upcoming hosts and musical guests will be. Fresh off their Academy Award nominations, which we'll get to in the next segment, Daniel Kaluuya and Carrie Mulligan will be making their debuts on SNL. Kaluuya will be hosting April 3rd with musical guest St. Vincent, who of course will be promoting her seventh studio album recently announced called Daddy's Home out May 14th. Carrie Mulligan will host the following week, April 10th, with musical guest Kid Cudi, which believe it or not, even after all of those Kanye West appearances, somehow is making his first time appearing on the show. <laughs> I guess he didn't perform with Kanye in any of those um, circumstances. This will be the show's return since February 27th, the aforementioned show with Nick Jones. So yeah, they just took a little brief, brief break and they'll be back with these Oscar-nominated stars. And good for them. Um getting their SNL spotlight, spotlight, spotshine. 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 I say spotlight and sunshine and spot in the sun. <laughs> it's just all mashed together in my head. Yep, kind of did. With that out of the way, now it's time to talk about thoughts. You watched quite a lot of television. I didn't watch any of this outside the Grammys, so tell me about your adventures in television. Well, adventures in TV land. Mm-hmm. Not that TV land. Not on TV land. There's nothing Not there, on but... TV land. So we want to talk about the Grammys. We can cross that off the list here. Exactly. What uh, else? What else? Um, so I uh, briefly mentioned, I don't know if I briefly mentioned it last week on the podcast, but Jeopardy is now currently in its full rotation of guests. Yes. Two-week period stints. Two-week guest stints. Uh, Katie Couric is this current well, she started last Monday. This will be her final end of two weeks. Um, the cumulative toll of what people get, uh-huh. of what people earn, will be donated to the guest host charity, in which case cool. for Katie Couric, I think is the Breast Cancer Foundation. Okay. But I like her as a guest. I think I talked about this last week. Uh, real briefly, I like her mm. as a guest host. She has that really nice, soothing voice when she says the uh, when she says the answers. They provide the questions. Uh, I'm not sure who they have next lined up. I think it's Doctor Sanjay Gupta of CNN. Maybe I believe he's the next guest host. But currently, you will be getting a new guest host every two weeks, starting at this point. Mm-hmm. So Jeopardy will just be a carousel of rotating guests in and out it's gonna look like a box of chocolates you never know who you're gonna get they love to rotate and just it's up there spinning just the whole time um yeah no i think the 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 people who have history as being news anchors i think are always good because they're used to reading off a teleprompter and they're they're they have a very like as you said like the their speaking speech style is very yeah. like clear, concise, and it's uh, it's comfortable to listen to because that's what they do for a living. So yeah, 
Uh, Katie's been in the business for a long time. Yep, and as I mentioned with Ken Jennings, you do a surprisingly amount of talking that you don't really lot of talking. like quite notice I yeah. did with Alex Trebek because it's just so very rote for him that you just, okay, here's the clue. He's just reading it. Not He's reading every single one of these. It's something that you I've started to notice more since uh, they've been doing these guest hosts, but mm-hmm. it's been really interesting once this season, which I think they're just going to stick with guests host for this whole season. So yeah. we're not going to really talk about Jeopardy hosts as much anymore following this. Right. Until we get to Aaron Rodgers, which I'm sure is going to be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> excited. Very excited. <laughs> All right. What else on the television adventure? What else on television adventure? So last uh, Wednesday was the South Park special. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on the park as they mentioned that it would be a Q Anon special and yeah. a vaccine special. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if you watched the pandemic special that they did. I did not. I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking <laughs> to you, the listener. You know, you know that I didn't. I know that you no. didn't. <laughs> but if you watch the Pan- South Park pandemic special, expect the same kind of nonsensory outlandish aspect of this South Park Q special. You know what you're getting. Yeah. You pretty much know what you're getting. But at the same time, they're still on the top of their game. Um, they do poke fun at themselves, at their animation style, and at basically anything they can and will that's going on in current news. I'm not sure if they're going to keep this going on, this these hour-long specials like every other month, it seems. But I kind of like the way they're doing it. It seems kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And you get these like bombs these one hour bomb episodes special episodes in but i mean i won't say between regular episodes because there are no regular episodes currently going on (laughs) but it's kind of fun because it kind of hypes up the fun that is south park and you comedy central will air the endless stream that they have of catalog south park episodes leading up to it because like oh yeah I remember watching these episodes or, hey, I never watched these episodes. Let's see what they're riffing on this week. So it's kind of fun. Um, it's a fun episode. If you watch the pandemic special, you know what you're getting. Otherwise, it's South Park riffing on current events. I mean, yeah, it's kind of what they've been doing, what the, the their existence is based on at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's very much either you buy into it or you're just annoyed by it. It seems like they're, yeah, you're one of two people, I think. <laughs> Either you grew out of it, yeah, and it's no longer exactly. funny, or it's still funny to you because they're, like I said, they're riffing off current events, which you also may or may not find hilarious. Right, right. But your mileage yeah, may vary. Is still, yeah, very on point. Your mileage may, yeah, vary. this is like your mileage may vary the show, like at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like it's definitely everyone not has that like cutoff point with South Park. Like, you watched it like when you were young, at some point you just kind of yeah. stopped watching it, but you still always it, go back to those episodes. Yeah. It's almost like at one point we would have, would have said like, Hey, maybe it's not, it's maybe it's not your thing. Then don't watch it. But at this point, I feel like there's so many people that it's not their thing that now it's like, maybe if it is your thing, if you're in that niche that still will be entertained by this, Hey, go for it. I guess. Yep. They're making it for you and no one else. 
I mean, really, they're exactly making it for themselves. They're making it for too. They're making it for themselves, and it just so happens that there's some people like them. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that's not it. All right. Do we want to talk about the alien, the alien, or the Allen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let me make that joke. You tell me. All right. Um, let's start with the one I'm going to get out of the way first because I'm going to talk about these other two in depth. NBC is jumping back <laughs> in to long form storytelling drama. Okay. With debris. Debris. Now, this falls into a long line of sci fi lightning in a bottle we want to capture we don't know what's currently going on mystery box the shows this kind of thing started with heroes and because heroes was such a success of mystery box show that hey we kind of want to take this and recreate that lightning in a bottle magic that we had we saw them do this with the alfonso Cuaron show Whatever that was called. Yeah, which everyone's forgotten existed. Yep. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I remember that he was attached to it. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Uh, this is another one of those where mysterious events has happened and it's a mystery show every week. But the premise does not make a whole lot of sense when you think about it for more than two seconds. <laughs> so the show starts off with a title card that says Debris. No, it's <laughs> four months ago. It's already establishing this. Okay. On screen in letters. It's a tell not showing aspect, which I hate. It's saying okay. four months ago, a mysterious alien spacecraft exploded into Earth. Exploded in Earth's uh, atmosphere. Sure. Earth in space. Only now, four months later, is the debris starting to fall to Earth. Okay. Hence the name. Debris. Debris. So it's up to these two different agents, one from MI6, one from the CIA, to investigate these fallen debris phenomenons, as they're calling them, and not only collect the debris, but kind of figure out how it works and what's causing it and what they do. So every week, much like Heroes, you had New power. And much like Fringe, new mystery of the week that you have to kind of solve. And hopefully it will all link to this bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Here's my problem with it, though. If alien technology, supposedly from the exact same spaceship, is falling to Earth, how is it magically making all this stuff happen because if you take say our spaceship and it Mm -hmm. falls to earth metal is supposed to somehow move a person through story wall buildings metal is supposed to somehow communicate and bring people back from the dead a metal or apart from a spaceship is supposed to be cloning people it's magic alien metal and that's my problem with it. It's very inconsistent. Yeah. It's magic alien technology, uh-huh. which 
we can do whatever we want with it. Exactly. Because it's like, all nonsensical. It's a and show where it is. Nonsensical. Yeah, so it's a show where magic things have fallen from the sky and solved everybody's problems. <laughs> but there's a bigger conspiracy because people are back from the dead. So there's gotta be a reason for it, right? <laughs> Manifest was the other one. Wonder yeah, Twins. Manifest. Got the other one. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like all these shows want to be lost so bad. Yes. I don't want to say lost, but yes, mystery boxes galore with lost. But the problem with lost is that lost didn't even like stick the landing on that shit. Everybody remembers the first season of lost and has written out the rest of lost in their minds. They just have this like amorphous idea of prestige mystery show in their head and they try it over and over and over again but they always have the same problem is that they don't make sense right when you even lost went into time traveling by season five four mm-hmm. like yeah off the island and they had to go back to the island and then time traveled <laughs> on the island and no one could explain why until the very end was like, oh, they were dead the whole time. Sorry, yeah. spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, sorry, spoiler alert for Lost, a 15-year-old show at this point. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I get why they keep trying it, but it's like, eventually we get a good one of these, right? Someday? Someday. Someday. I don't know, but even like, like I said, Lightning in the Bottle Heroes, right. it was just X-Men. They had the same problem, where it's like, initially... Everybody was like, "Whoa, this is doing something that nobody's done before," and then it just dropped off so, sir, like so steep off a cliff that everybody stopped caring. Right, and some of that had to do with the writer's strike in two thousand eight. Yeah, that's true. So. There was elements working against it, certainly, mm-hmm. but still, but still, like even then, when they got into its later seasons, it's you had to ratchet up the drama overarch for each season that eventually it became nonsensical, ridiculous. Right. And it's hard when you start off that way. When <laughs> You're saying that debris is already ridiculous, so it can't get much more ridiculous. It's just going to be that show already. Yes. Yeah. So, so don't watch debris is what I'm gathering from this. Please, please cancel it soon. Yes. Okay. So one season show, is, that, is your money on one season show for this one? Yes, but then again, I said the blacklist would be a two-season show. You also show said the same thing for Manifest, and we were wrong. I think that got two, right? Uh, I think you got. I'm not sure if it got a third, but oh, I know it got yeah. a second season. Definitely got a second season. So yeah, I don't know. Who, jury's out. I maybe yeah, maybe we should maybe not bet on those because in the pandemic year, all bets are off because they will expend extend things that shouldn't be extended they don't have anything else that's another thing that's pretty good about this show probably surviving the pandemic year is that the two main characters are the only ones who are not really protected Uh after walking around everyone else that they have in the government body that they associate with uh, when they go on scene to these places are all protected they're all wearing like the hazmat suit the gloves and everything except for like the one person in charge who they're communicating with so you can keep production costs low because of that, because everyone is being protected. Right. So you don't have to, you don't have to deal with a whole lot of people or extras. Right. You just have your main people, like your two mains, and then the guest of the week, like the two guests of the week that you have come on. The one person experiencing the phenomena and the other person mm-hmm. who's either reacting to it, either got sucked into it, or is a part of the body that they're like the expert field that 
they're they've brought in. Yeah. So it's a very easy show, not easy uh-huh. show because it's very um, CG heavy, but right. in terms of filming it, it's a very easy show to film in the terms of a pandemic. So ultimately, a whole lot of cast of characters. So it sounds like an easy a show that probably does have a future practically, but in your opinion, probably should not have a future. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Speaking of things that have a future or not a future or not a career, uh, let's talk about the rest of the things you want. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about uh, other alien technology. Resident Alien. <laughs> Resident Alien. I did not plan on watching this. Okay. I saw that uh, Alan Tudyk's Tudyk. Yes, Tudyk. Yeah, his birthday was uh, the other day, and it was oh hey, Happy Alan birthday. Tudyk is not only his birthday but promoting his show Resident Alien on TBS. Of course, he's I've a seen Pisces. commercials of. I, I could I could see it. I, I've seen commercials of Resident Alien. I was like, oh, interesting concept. Alien needs to, uh, is stranded here on Earth and is trying to fit in. Okay. Interesting concept. Kind of basic. Makes sense. Alan Tudyk is see. Elf. Yes. <laughs> Alan Tudyk is Elf. <laughs> Alan Tudyk is not hidden behind a CGI <laughs> character. No, just, an animated I, voice. Yeah, I just gave you a... Uh... I just gave you an episode title. <laughs> you can thank oh, me right there. Great Grammys in there somewhere. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Um, so he, so Alan Tudyk himself. <laughs> the power of Alan Tudyk made you knock over your mic. Yes. Wow. So he himself is a doctor in this world. But an alien crash lands on Earth and overtakes his body. But he's in like the remote parts of Colorado. Sure. But then the town doctor, the only doctor in town, mysteriously (laughs) dies. And so they bring in him from his cabin in the woods, a literal cabin in the woods, to be the town doctor. And now he, Ah. the alien, in an alectitic suit... Uh-huh. Must be the doctor and perf- and interact with society and pass okay. as a human. So it's an alien show in a fish out of water show mold, and that's where the comedy comes from. I'm assuming this is a comedy. Yes, this is definitely a comedy. Yeah. It's actually one okay. of the funny ones too. What is this airing on? Where is TBS? This? this is a TBS thing. Okay, it sounds yeah. cable-y. That makes sense. But I believe, I, but I watched it on Peacock. So okay. Peacock has it. Well, that. Actually, I was going to say that makes sense, but no, that's a Turner thing. That should be HBO. I, all bets are off at this point with the streaming stuff. I don't know what rights end up where, but anyway. Right. So anyways, um, I decided to watch it on a whim, and I got through the first three episodes with ease because it's that funny. Okay. And cool. it's, that, it's that good. It's well written. It's well acted. Uh, definitely, Alan Tudyk is a very standout character in this because one you're playing an alien on earth (laughs) but also the writing in it and the uh interactions that he has with other people like are very alien like so 
anything that seems abnormal or could be considered a mistake mm-hmm. is done on purpose. And if you can execute that on a comedic level, yeah, you have something really special on your hands. And that's what Resident Alien is. It's something really cool. special. I mean, sounds good. Uh, Christy is a big Alan Tudyk fan. We were actually just talking about him while we were um, <laughs> waiting for her vaccine on on Thursday. And so, yeah, I'll have to tell her. It's like, maybe we should try this one out. That sounds like she'd like it. It's definitely a fun time. Let me just make sure that it is on Peacock real quick. You're probably right. I, I would bet that maybe the connection is it's a universal production. Uh, and maybe that's why it ended up there. I think so. That would make sense. Cool. Uh, let's see. It's Resident Alien. Yeah. Yep. Resident Alien Weekly on Peacock. New episodes weekly. So, yeah. Oh, uh, I'll have to check that one out. Checking this out. Yeah. I'll uh, check for those out. of you who do have Peacock or TBS, it's a funny show. And trying to not give away that you're an alien, that he's an alien, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out the reason why he's on earth and how he's going to essentially et himself to get back home yeah so the better of the two alien shows this week yeah it's the good one it's the funny one it's the one that might end up like andy tribeca and only have three seasons probably but um is still funny and actually has a very promising future ahead of it Cool. I look forward to more seasons if it gets it. The only reason I hesitate is because it is on TBS yeah, and, who and knows Peacock, point, so it yeah. may switch to just be a Peacock only. Which may even be better for it, honestly. We'll see. Getting, it, getting more Peacock originals would kind of help booster. Yeah. Okay. What else? You have a couple more things on here. Yep. Um, so we're talking about the alien ship, the alien. Now let's <laughs> talk about the Allen. Yeah, if we must. We must, we must. So I've been hinting about this for the past three weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, the HBO documentary four-part special, Allen v. Pharaoh, mm-hmm. about Notorious, I guess, at this point. Yeah, at this point. Uh, director Woody Allen. And his case with Mia Farrow and daughter Dylan Farrow. Yeah. And the whole... I don't want to tread lightly about this. Should I tread lightly? <laughs> Do we ever hear on the Media Vote podcast? No. Do we ever? No, 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 we don't. We don't. The sexual allegations yeah. against yes. Woody Allen and right. the court case against him being a child predator mm-hmm. through to Mia Farrow and her family. Right. The reason I don't limit it to just Dylan Farrow or Mia Farrow is because as infamously as it is known, or at least should be known at this point, Alan or Alan, Woody Allen married Mia Farrow's daughter, right. adopted daughter. Yes. Soon Yi. When she was 22 and he was like 45 or something. Mm -hmm. They go into it in the documentary how he had not so much in all intents and purposes stated outright, but it is heavily implied that he groomed her Mm -hmm. 
by being around the Pharaoh family, never marrying Mia Pharaoh, mm -hmm. but instead marrying the adopted daughter and got into a whole lot of mess that we don't have time to get into. It's That's a can of worms. separate <laughs> podcast and deep yeah. dive and everything that if you don't know anything about this, go in blind and it definitely doesn't paint Woody Allen in a in a positive light. Nor should it, because should I mean, it. it seems like everybody involved has been telling their stories so thoroughly and accurately over the last 30 decade years plus at this point. Yeah, like decades. And so it's 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 pretty clear that the case that can be made against it. Of course, we're not lawyers here. We're not we can't come to any like legal conclusion. But this is a good way, like this four-part series is a good way to, like you said, give some of the, the like an, an uninitiated person a beat-by-beat beat rundown of what's going on here. Yes, it is broken up into four parts. The first part being the man, the myth, Woody Allen, and how he, his basically career and then introduction to Mia Farrow and how they are inter intertwined. The second part being his interactions with the daughters of Soon Yi and Dylan Farrow mm -hmm. and his interactions with their those children in general. The third episode is the trial itself and all the legal allegations that arose and all the investigation that went through. I'm throwing some quotes around investigation because this sure. goes into it of yeah. what they did and did not cover and what they probably should have covered. Okay. And the lengthy battle that happened in the courts and played out in front of the TV cameras. And then it ends with uh, episode four being the epilogue, what has happened since and why the story is being told now. It does feel like this was shot in 2017 and 2018, or at least that's when it started from the Me Too movement. But then Woody Allen put out a book since then, a memoir book, an audio book, and that kind in 2020. And so that pushed this narrative to incorporate some of those audio experts into this as a way for to say, hey, we got Woody Allen's perspective mm -hmm. on this without actually having him appear in this documentary. Right. Which is really smart because that book is in the sense finite because it's written. It's there. It's out. Anyone can go and read it and read his version if they want. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this is not their response to the book, but rather the book just happened to come out as they were producing this. And yeah, you can make up your own mind about which way you sway on this, but if you're trying to defend Woody Allen at this point, you're not starting off on any good footing at all. It's a difficult case to make. The man it's himself not can't a case really you even be make it anyways, but right, yeah, lawyers but, but, make it anyways because they are <laughs> at their job. They're hired that yeah. point. They're hired at that point to to do that for him, and so yeah, it's what they have to do. But yeah. No, I think it's it's smart to get something like this out now because I feel like, I mean, hell, even less than a decade ago, we were in film school and still assigned Woody Allen movies. Like mm -hmm. his legacy is so imprinted 
already on film, like on film studies, that if you aren't introduced to something like this, if you aren't introduced to the idea that he's gone through this kind of experience in his life, you might not never know. You might not have ever been told. And so I'm glad that something like this is going, like is available for people who are the uninitiated to get caught up on it in such a clear and concise way. Oh, it does go into how his films have been received. It also goes into a kind of film study about the kind of characters he writes about and the yes. his romantic lead yes. as you he always look- casts himself a part of. You can look back and see a lot of lot of evidence in the things he wrote of the kind of person that he is in real life. Right, and one of the things we were taught in film school is you write what you know. And yeah, that's great. Unless it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. As soon as you get into legal territory, then you're like, maybe I shouldn't have wrote that movie about the thing that I was doing in real life. Hmm. What do you know? Um, it also goes into... <laughs> quite heavily when uh, Woody Allen was receiving his Lifetime Achievement Awards and yes. all these actors were coming out and Against Barbara him. Streisand like singing his praises um, right. when he was accepting right. these awards. Right. It doesn't look so good now, but then again, yeah. it never did. Yeah. And of course, there's going to be those people who you know are always very quick to point out, yeah, but you should be able to separate the art from the artist. And all that. Sure, fine. To a certain extent, I get why people say that. I get that the importance of film as a work of art is important. And I get the idea of that. That being said, there's such an imprint of the creator on every work that sometimes it is increasingly the case with, with Alan's work is becoming the point where they are so inseparable, the two of them because of how much he wrote about his own life. That, yeah, it's it's really, we're getting to the point, like you said, where it's hard to make any sort of judgment that doesn't make him look like he made some mistakes, is the lightest way I can put it. I mean, it, I don't want to say depending on who you believe, because... <laughs> You should believe what right. It's overwhelming at this point. It's overwhelming yes. that the it's basically it's it's this documentary pushes it from who you who do you believe to mm-hmm. here are the facts. Yeah. Why do you still don't believe? Why aren't you looking at the facts? If I'm these are the facts. Exactly. So it's a recommend. Do you think it's a well made thing? It's a recommend, but also um, not for the faint of heart going into this. <laughs> I would imagine if you're watching this, you kind of already are ready for it. You know what I mean? Like you have to read the synopsis and then you immediately know, oh, that's what this is about. <laughs> right, but I But yeah. If you're in film school or any part of that, yeah, definitely watch this. Yeah, I, I think that uh, in the wake of this, I'm hoping that maybe that the curriculum in uh, school maybe changes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely other films in that era that you can spotlight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, speaking of other spotlights, there's one last spotlight we want to shine here. Yes, um, I do not mean to shine the spotlight, um, but 
I saw this on my Twitter feed and I was kind of kept in the back of my mind that, yeah, I should probably watch this before we podcast on Wednesday. And just can I say, I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> so I didn't watch this because I'm way behind and I understand that there's actually lore in this show. And so there was stuff that I would have missed potentially. So I did not, but I'm glad you did. So I didn't watch any of those episodes. I just skipped straight to the end and you don't need the, all that lore, but I kind of went back and like, cherry picked what I thought would be lore and yeah it does help not necessary Mm -hmm. but definitely does help and definitely does build on the success I'll call it a outright success here for the three seasons of DuckTales woohoo yeah (laughs) so yeah we talked about this when it got cancelled that this would be its final season that that even we were kind of struggling with why would they cancel the show? It's clearly a success. It's clearly working for them. People love this new reboot of DuckTales. Woohoo. I still don't know why it got canceled. Maybe animation, maybe story. I don't know, but. I don't know. I have some ideas and some theories, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter at this point why it got canceled. It just did. That being said, the final episode, which is an hour and a half special, wraps up, not only does it wrap up everything, not only does it put a very cute bow on everything, (laughs) but it hammers home and reinforces what made DuckTales special. (laughs) I'm going to do it every single time. Uh-huh. laughing. I know you are. It, it's a show about the family. It's a show about the brothers, about the Avengers, about Scrooge McDuck, about Webby, about Launchpad, and they do a great job in the final episode bringing all your favorite characters back and one of my favorites when writing, giving them purpose to be there. Everyone has a moment to shine. Everyone, mm-hmm. all these characters that they've had that they've brought in over the past three seasons, whether they be one shots or recurrings, they each show up and they each have some purpose within the episode of the finale. Yes, it does make more of an impact if you watched the entire series, if it built up to it. There is a lot more impact as a show, as a lore, as a narrative. Mm-hmm. But just watching that, eh final three episodes because usually when you do something like this like you kind of have that fin- finale within the past like three or, the last three or four episodes leading up to it it hits on every kind of emotion that you have it's one of the best finales I've seen in TV not even just animation just in TV in general Wow. Okay. and it hits on everything um kind of very similar to how Star and Forces of Evil ended and how we were very happy with that ending. Yeah. I got that kind of same vibe here where I was very happy with how they ended it. It wrapped everything up that they were building and it did actually kind of leave the door open for more adventures should they have them. But that being said, if this is truly the ending, it's a good bow on that ending. 
And I think that that's, uh, that came from being able to do a proper ending to the show. It sounded like that the terms of the cancellation at least allowed them to plan for a proper finale. A lot of shows don't get that. A lot of shows kind of just disappear to the ether with none of their plot lines resolved without the ability to do a proper finale because sometimes shows are like that where it's so down to the wire that you don't know if you're going to get picked up. And so, yeah, it's a blessing that this team got to be as creative as possible with their finale, make the finale that they wanted the show, the finale that the show deserved. And it's cause yeah, a lot of shows don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, there are lore specific episodes throughout this past season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of them is titled our first adventure, which I would suggest highly suggest watching that in condolence with, in concordance, condolence. <laughs> in condordance. My arc and oh, condolences <laughs> to the in concordance with the final episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's like episode six or ten on the season before okay. the finale. But that is a lore dump that really helps you appreciate the finale more. But that being said, even if you didn't see a whole lot of the episodes, it'll still be okay you would still be okay. You'd still understand a lot of the stuff that's going on and make connections that even if you didn't watch a lot of the episodes, you'd make connections like, oh, that person's this person because I have some kind of familiarity with the show being a passive observer. That being said, definitely watch these episodes when they go on Disney+. Plus. This show is easily bingeable. Each show, each episode is like 22 minutes long Mm -hmm. and they run fast for an animated show it's not like it's a dredging show it's a fast right. animated hilarious show it's definitely on my list to just go through all of it because i watched a lot of it like i think mostly i think i've most most of season one under the belt yeah. but then like after that i kind of dropped off and so i don't remember exactly where i left off and that's always the worst because then you go like well, i don't want to watch something i've already watched but i also don't remember the last one i watched so i have to watch this one basically until i remember it and then oh wait no maybe i watched only half of it and so it's really really hard to pick back up and so that's kind of where i'm at with it so eventually i'll probably just start from the top and just get everything done i'm actually but- like that way with adventure time too <laughs> like i haven't watched like half of that show and i don't know where i left but yeah, DuckTales, woohoo, one last time. Yeah. The finale, definitely check it out. I'm glad that they pulled it off. Yeah. Got to make the ending that they wanted. I'm glad that they made the ending that they did because yeah. they nailed it. They nailed the ending. Okay. Are we good with TV thoughts? Is that everything we watched? Yes, because watched. we're approaching two and a half hours here. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we got to finish this show. Too many thoughts this week. Too many thoughts. And we're not done because it's time for cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching besides DuckTales? Woo-hoo. You're no longer watching NBC's World of Dance because it was canceled after its fourth season. You are still watching Outlander on Stars. It's got in a seventh season. ABC is bringing back The Bachelorette for a 17th and 18th season, so more to come from there. And the BBC, across the pond, is making the fourth season of Killing Eve its final season. So no more uh, sexual tension between women on that show. 
So. Sandra, oh no. Sandra, oh no. Then we have one death. Marvelous Marvin Hagler, age 66, a Hall of Fame boxer, the undisputed middleweight champion from 1980 to 1987. For those who are not versed in boxing lore, undisputed is the term used when a boxer holds world titles from all four major sanctioning organizations in boxing. That includes the WBA, the WBC, the IBF, and the WBO. So yeah, uh, quite a legend in boxing. Yeah, you're holding the middleweight title from four different organizations for seven years. That's that impressive. Is unprecedented. You don't see that a whole lot. No, but still, even young at 66. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty tragic. Yep. Moving All on. Right, let's get to the end here, shall Into we? movies. Real where we usually quick. start the show. We're now ending the show. Real quick box office update for you. Raya and the Last Dragon is still your number one movie. Made another $5.7 million, sitting at $16 million domestic. Tom and Jerry sitting at uh, made another $4.1 million for Warner. That's sitting at $28 million. That's a very bright and shiny, that thing you've got there. The shiny rock. Yeah. And number three, Chaos Walking. $2.2 million. That adds to a $6.9 million domestic total. Nice. Poor, no, not nice. Poor Tom Holland. Actually, we'll talk about poor Tom Holland later. <laughs> we have a couple of new releases this week, thanks to the magic of streaming. Uh, including, the, actually, I don't know if either of these are streaming. That's next week. Uh, the Courier. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Nope, it said wide release. And The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I believe that is supposed to be a comedy. That sounds like it. But now it's time to do talk about more award season because award season is close to its apex, which of course is the Academy Awards. We finally, at long last, learned the Academy Award nominations for 2021 just this past week. First up, Netflix's Mank, a movie that neither of us have watched, um, <laughs> leaves the field. Although I do plan on going back to it. I watched the first 20 minutes and bailed, but I do plan on eventually making myself go by, like go through it, but we'll see. Uh, leads the field with 10 nominations in all the major categories. Making history, two women, Emerald Fennel and Claire. Chloe Zhou were nominated in the directing category in the same year for the first time. Previously, in years where a woman has been direct, uh, nominated for director, they've been the only one in a field of men. It's Chloe Zhao. Is it Zhao? I've only Zhao. heard Zhou. So I was just saying what I heard. Yep. Okay. okay. She is the first woman of color to be nominated in the category, by the way. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. Overall, 70 women received a total of 76 nominations in the Oscars this year, a record for one given year. It I is believe she was, would be the favorite going into the directing category as well. I believe you're correct, yeah. Overall, uh, it is notable that three Black men, Leslie Odom Jr., Daniel Kaluuya, and Lakeith Stanfield, were all nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category, with Chadwick Boseman receiving a posthumous nomination in the Lead Actor category. This is probably the time where we should briefly talk about this, who is the lead actor in Judas and the Black Messiah? <laughs> I keep telling you it's Lakeith Stanfield. I thought it was until this award, until these <laughs> nominations came up. And now I'm confused because they are not 
no one is nominated for lead actor in this film. Yeah, it's weird how both your lead actors end up with both supporting actor nominations. I'm very confused. Like, I was under the impression that Daniel Kaluuya was the supporting actor. So (laughs) when these ballots go out, people rank where they want them to be. Uh Both Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya got enough votes in the supporting category for them to both be nominated. I mean, yeah, we but not enough votes to make yeah. a slot on the best on, on the lead actor. <laughs> we kind of talked about this in when we were talking about the film, but it is unclear who the film wants to be the lead actor. <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it ended up this way, but this sucks because my worry now is that both will lose because they'll cancel each other out. But they'll split the vote. Yeah, I I really think that still, still, I think that this is Kaluuya's to lose, but maybe not. Maybe they screwed him over. Well, maybe they just did this because they knew they were already going to give to Chadwick Boseman and the lead actor. Oh, maybe you're right. There was some politicking going on here. Yes, because if, because if you're going to give Chadwick Boseman an Oscar, it's then, literally going to be yeah. for this role. It's not going to be for anything right. else. It has to be. Oh, well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, picking up where we left off, Riz Ahmed became the first Muslim actor to be nominated in the lead actor category. Steven Yoon became the first Asian American to be nominated in the lead actor category. And Maria ba- Bakalova, Bakalova? Bakalova gets a sporting actress nomination out of nowhere for Borat 2. Hey, all that campaigning from Sasha Baron worked. Yeah, I guess so. Or should films, I say Amazon? And both so we mentioned kind of in the lead up to this whether we thought that there would be enough films nominated to fill all 10 of the spots for best picture turns out we were right there are not according to the academy and only eight films are nominated this year where to watch and so here's the list and here's where to watch them because for the first time ever you can watch all these from home not a single one is not available to you in some fashion outside of your own house. So that's good mm-hmm. news. First up, The Father, which is available on Video On Demand. Judas and the Black Messiah, which is currently available only on Video On Demand. You had an option to watch it on HBO Max during its availability window. Yes, that ended as of Sunday the 14th. Yes. That one month passed, so now you can only get it on Video On Demand, unless you were smart and watched it when it was yes. available on like we did. HBO Max. Mank, which is available on Netflix still, Minari, which is available on Video On Demand. Nomadland, which is currently still available on Hulu. Promising Young Woman, also Video On Demand release. Sound of Metal, Amazon Prime exclusive. And The Trial of the Chicago 7, also on Netflix. So, yeah. um, Um, All over the place. If you have streaming services, you can watch currently uh, four of these films. And if you Mm -hmm. had HBO Max and watched it, five of them. So yeah, uh, good chance that this year is finally a year where we're going to both probably watch most of these. Um, maybe not the video on demand releases and maybe not for me, the Amazon one. <laughs> so I'm like, eh, I'd rather not. But uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, so this year's awards are set to air on Sunday, April 25th on ABC. Uh, how are you feeling? Because uh, my feeling about this year is, eh, just kind of a big meh. I thought I was excited, and then when I saw read all the nominees, I just came out of it and being like, well, this is not exciting. Well, it all depends on how you feel about Nomadland winning. 
I think it's the favorite and I think it's going to dominate uh, here because just there's not enough strong competition. Like I said, Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't think it's as strong as you think it is. I think that it'll take the acting category and supporting actor and probably in supporting actress as well. Uh, but beyond that... It will win because it will because Judas and the Black Messiah will win the Emmy for Outstanding Ensemble Cast and whatever wins Ensemble you Cast mean... usually goes on to win Best Picture. <laughs> said Emmy, but I think you mean SAG. Yeah, SAG. Sorry, I said Emmy. <laughs> I think I said Emmy, yeah. SAG, whatever wins SAG. It will win the, the actor. The actor, because that's what they call those awards. Right. Um, I mean, we'll see. Uh, remember, that has not always been reliable for us. We used to think it was, and for a while it was, but then it stopped working. Like two of the, I think one out of the past three years, yeah. It was actually the case. The other two, the other two, was not. We whiffed on because it yeah. wasn't. We've had not. We need to pick up our game. Last year, I believe, was our worst prediction year in Oscar history of doing the show. So we need to get it right this year. Yes, we need to pick up what we left like <laughs> on the floor because we did badly last year. Yeah, especially we did bad me. last year. Especially me. So yeah, we'll see. See if we can do a better job. But yeah, I think of course the story here is the diversity, and there is yes leaps and bounds above where we were before. But the movies just aren't as strong. I'll just be honest. It was a weak year for movies. It was a weak year for the movie studios, I think, overall. And it shows in these nominations. And yeah, there's just not a whole lot to love here. But I hope Nomadland has a good night. I hope the actors for Judas and the Black Messiah have a good night. Um, but Whichever the rest, one of them wins. And the rest is gravy at this point because I'm not really invested in a lot gravy. of movies. Yep, gravy. Anything else you want to say about the Oscars before I move on? Nope, because we got to move on. We do. Thankfully, we just have some bits left for you in the movie news, so let's go to it. First up in the bits. The battle between Avatar and Avengers Endgame continues for box office supremacy. Currently, Avatar is now back at the top with 3.5 million, I think you mean billion, and covering that... Nope. No? It earned 3.5 oh. million in oh, China. on top which... of... But it already has, which beats it, the $1 yes. million dollar gap that separated the two films. Got it. Yes. Okay. So now it's up to Endgame uh, to pick up some slack. Which Endgame will definitely roll out once the theaters are open again. Because, hey, remember when you saw Endgame? <laughs> yeah, which probably remember? The last movie you saw in theaters? <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people, it probably was. Meanwhile, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has begun production with Jeff Fowler back in the director's seat after some conversation about whether he would or not. Um, but yeah, so that movie will still come out. Movie Pass. Back from the Dead. Might as well call it Zombie Movie Pass because it set up a countdown to a relaunch this Monday. Who knows if it's a relaunch? It's just an ominous countdown yeah, to Monday. Hey, maybe people get their money back. I don't know. But <laughs> if you're into game stonks and want <laughs> to invest in Helios do Matheson. Don't do it. It's literally it. less than a penny right now for a stock. Yeah, don't do it. Trust me, don't do it. It's a bad it's a bad move. I'm just saying, if you <laughs> want to throw a dollar on it, you'll get 10 shares. Actually, maybe 100, because it's less than a penny. <laughs> Former famous ship and current Long Beach uh, uh, tourist destination, the Queen Mary will be getting its own trilogy of horror films. Yay! Yay! Wait, I mean, oh! Yeah, if you like creepy boats, hey, creepy boat movies coming your way. <laughs> and then lastly, Kenneth Branagh, it's always fun to say, 
is going to be directing a Bee Gees movie for Paramount. I hope it's better than Staying Alive, the previous Bee Gees movie. <laughs> uh, we'll just show how deep their love is. <laughs> we, will, we will have to find out, I think. Yes. Um, also, <laughs> if you don't want to wait for that, there is a Bee Gees documentary on HBO yes. Max that you can watch instead. Okay, now we get into thoughts. We both watched something. I'll be real brief about mine. I watched a Netflix uh, documentary, which I guess originates actually from last year. I'm not really sure where it aired, previous to its Netflix arrival. But I watched The Last Blockbuster, which no, is not about a film, but instead about Blockbuster, the chain of video rental stores. Um, It's kind of a hybrid. It's both a story about Blockbuster, the corporation, about what kind of led to its rise and what eventually led to its demise. The popular Not opinion, buying Netflix. Well, so I was just <laughs> going to say, the popular opinion being, oh, Netflix and streaming killed it. Not exactly. The documentary does a pretty good job of giving you a more detailed version, including some stuff that I didn't even know. And I like felt like I was pretty knowledgeable about the situation. But stuff that surprised me goes into the nitty gritty uh, about, about what actually led to their their ultimate closure. Then the other half of the documentary is a combination of a story about the actual last blockbuster, which is currently in Bend, Oregon, still still open, just renewed their um, their uh, their arrangement with Dish Network, the current owners of the blockbuster name, uh, to continue operating under the name Blockbuster. So they will be a blockbuster for at least a few more years, um, and their last one. They lasted longer than everybody else. They actually inherited, one of the fun things in the documentary is they inherited the stuff that John Oliver sent the Alaska store. Remember that episode yes. last week tonight from the, the Cod piece. <laughs> so when those Alaska stores closed, the franchisee reached out to the franchisee of the Bend Oregon store and said, hey, we'll ship you the shit. They took everything but the loincloth. <laughs> They're a family store. Anyway, so yeah. It um, was used. I will say to me that blockbuster history stuff worked a lot better than the let's talk about the people who work and run the Bend Oregon blockbuster store. I think that that is fascinating to a certain point, but that story should only, it only takes about 10 minutes to to tell. And so what you have is basically an hour and a half long documentary that spends the first very informative 45 minutes talking about the stuff that's actually interesting. And then the rest of its runtime just kind of meandering about the Bend, Oregon store. And then it does the cardinal sin of filling the rest of the time with celebrity interviews. No, no. There are so many celebrities in this thing that are talking about stuff that doesn't matter. They have Kevin Smith talk to you about video rental for a while. They have all sorts of very strange choices for celebrities. They have a celebrity that even makes the trip out to Bend and visits the the store for way too much screen time. And so by the end of this thing, it was like, well, this was 45 minutes of a good documentary and just a bunch of filler that I just was bored out of my mind watching. So I don't recommend it. I think that there's a nugget of cool history if you're interested at all in the empire that was blockbuster but it's nothing that you can't learn from a wikipedia article and that might be a better use of your time um i think this is somebody who's probably cutting their teeth at documentary filmmaking Uh, this seems to be a kickstarted thing which might be part of it and so it was a thing that i think they had like a kernel of a good idea for and just a lot too much 
filler and didn't have enough of the story to tell. So I don't know. It's fine. If you're interested at all in Blockbuster, maybe check it out, but it's way too much. But anyway. Anyways, um, I'll be real brief with my review because <laughs> it's something you shouldn't watch. All right. Okay. What else shouldn't I watch? Apple TV Plus. I mean, should for like Ted Lasso. Yes. No, but they have a movie out. <laughs> yes. Titled Carrie. Uh-huh. Yes. This is brought to you Jerry. by the, of the aforementioned Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War and America Civil War uh-huh. and episodes of Community. <laughs> Joe and Anthony Russo, the Russo. Right, movie. the Russos. They have with them brought with them Tom Holland, Spider-Man, to this interesting story. Really interesting story. Okay. About a former army medic who comes home and uh, gets addicted to drugs, pain pills, and then hard drugs, and then life kind of spirals out of control. It's Jarhead. It's one part Jarhead, mm-hmm. one part Requiem of a Dream. Okay. <laughs> and the whole time I'm watching it, I am wondering do I care? That is a bad sign. Yeah, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. Especially come from, you know, what you would expect to be high profile directors or, you know, blockbuster directors making something quite mediocre and something that you're not really invested in. Yeah. Not a good sign. But then again, this is based off a book and I assume based off an actual life. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of tiptoes and teeters on the point of is this the normal story for people or is this just very specific to this one person what happened yeah it's not something i recommend because at one point i thought it was getting interesting (laughs) and then it took a hard left into that requiem for a dream territory which i was not quite ready for and started wondering do i care and wow you've become the bad guy in this i'm clearly stopped rooting for you at <laughs> this point you don't deserve a happy ending uh, okay and yet they somehow say it does get a happy ending happy in quotes so mm-hmm. i'm not recommending this film i kind of slowly regret watching it yeah at some I've points. heard similar takes uh that people are like why what this like could have been good but not in the thing they made like it seems like it has all like on paper this should work on and paper, like on paper a good story you could see on- what apple was thinking right because they're like okay good story with potential important currently relevant directors mm-hmm. that have done good work before what could possibly go wrong but we see this kind of story in Hollywood all the time, right? Which is powerful directors get a project that they probably should not have worked on and it, up being, it ends up being terrible. But everybody told them yes the whole time because of how powerful they were. Right, or it's hard to say no to right. a person in charge. And, and, and like, the yes, idea that maybe nobody people. said no when they should have. Yeah, Yeah, and you don't say no, you don't question it. And it gets into a, we've gone too far at this point. <laughs> yes. This is just what we're, we're There's in. There's no eject with. seat. You have to. We have to bear this out. We have to release this. So it's a. Yeah. It's hard to recommend. Essentially, it's disappointing. 
especially if once it gets to all those hard hard drug scenes and really hard drug scenes that you get into the wait i thought i was watching something else at this point why am i not watching this when did that switch happen i am now lost i don't and that's the point where you kind of like either pause or stop it and like basically jump ship and don't finish it but then even when you do finish it it's not a completely happy ending that it wants it to be and it does the one thing that i don't like when movie does is it breaks it up into chapters and says oh no the beginning uh-huh. the war <laughs> the aftermath <laughs> it's like epilogue thank you for telling us your act structure right. yeah So don't recommend Cherry, even though on paper, it sounds good. But much like the Angels baseball, on paper, (laughs) it sounds good. (laughs) Hey, we're looking good in real life too right now. Just saying. I know we're looking good in real life, but once the season starts and you actually watch what's happening, it's going to be a bit of a train wreck. Yeah, always. Well, that's disappointing. So I guess Russo rather stick to what you know, which is Spandex. (laughs) adaptations yes maybe all right uh but with that that'll do it for us that end here will be it thank you for joining us on this extra long mega size edition of the media boat podcast we will see you guys next week for hopefully a shorter episode but no guarantees you can catch us in all sorts of ways you can watch the video version of our podcast on youtube just go to youtube search media boat podcast find our page like subscribe everything you do on youtube pages You can also see us or listen to us more accurately in audio form on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even. Anywhere where you absorb podcasts, we are there. Just search Media Boat Podcast and find our page. You can also find us on social media channels, people, medial, social media channels such as Twitter. Our handle there is at Media Boat Cast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast. You'll find our page there. Like, comment. Email us if you have questions, comments, anything about the show that you need to get off your chest at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we leave you. But we'll be back next week for more from the world of all of our subjects. Television, movies, video games, music. Yes, and if you are uh, somehow finding our website, uh, (laughs) mediaboatpodcast.com, I see the viewership going up randomly. Some um, old stuff on there. Parts there, there's some old writings on there. Um, we will be, we should be, we will be, we should be posting stuff like the current episodes. Yeah, maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll get caught up on there. But go to <laughs> a your lot pod- of work. I don't know if you know that podcasting feeds, <laughs> podcasting feeds, and that will be where you can get new episodes. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're done. All right, bye. see you guys next week. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. <laughs>